All of us here at Attack of the Killer Podcast has brothers and or sisters. Um, like, for example, my oldest sister, she was... Um, nah, this, this joke sucks. I'm not even doing it. Uh, we're talking about wh- horror movies featuring brothers and sisters on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Just leaving a failed joke in the intro. <laughs> oh my god! I've been sitting here rereading it for like ten minutes, <laughs> trying to figure out how to make it work. It was like, you know, basically when my sister was born, she was born an only child. And I just, I just can't make it work. So fuck it, we're moving on. Hey guys, what's up? Insane Mike here, your host of Attack of the Killer podcast. This is episode one eighty eight, titled "Sibling Rivalry." And we will be discussing horror movies featuring siblings, um, you know, brothers, sisters, that kind of stuff. Oh, that's what it means. Yes. If this is your first time listening to our show, let me catch you up a little bit. Now, Attack of the Killer podcast, what we do is we are a horror movie podcast. We're a group of friends. We get together. We discuss horror movies within a cer- certain topic. We speak openly and freely, just like we would at, say, oh, I don't know, a horror convention called Crypticon, maybe. And... So we just openly talk about the stuff we love. So there may be spoilers. I'm just telling you. That's all I'm saying. There may be spoilers. Oh, that's what we do. That's right. There will be spoilers. That's right. Now, our show can be found on our very own podcast network called the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. Now, if you didn't know this already or you didn't, or maybe you discovered the show on the network already, so then just ignore this part. But what the PFPN... (laughs) is it's a podcast network that contains various podcasts discussing all forms of entertainment. We It covers the huge spectrum of stuff in entertainment and movies and you name it. So check out all the shows at thepfpn.com. And guess what? We got another new podcast. Another one? Who's that? In the Mic of Madness. Holy crap. So is that 17? 17. Podcasts now. Right, we say it like we're counting towards a goal, but it's just... Of one billion podcasts. Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> but anyway, what... they're super cool. They're on the network. Um, we're super stoked to have them. Check them out, thepfpan.com. That's right. That's where you can check them out and all the shows on the network. So let me take a moment and tell you about our sponsor, Shutter. Shutter. Shudder is an online streaming service for all horror fans of all shapes and sizes. Hey, I'm working on it. <laughs> if you have not yet signed up for Shudder, what are you waiting for? It's only fourteen ninety nine a month or forty nine ninety nine for a year. You said fourteen. It's four ninety nine. Four ninety nine a month or forty nine ninety nine for a year. Or you could tip me the extra ten dollars. Oh, that's what you're going for. Damn it. Um but if you're still not convinced, it's only four ninety nine a month. No, but if you're still not convinced, how about I give you a... Holy crap, was I watching a movie while I was typing this I up? I think you were. I put a year. 
<laughs> Shutter you for free. You know what but it instead, is. <laughs> why are you even reading notes? You say it every time. You know what it is. You get a month free. It's awesome. Oh, that a month? Yeah, not a year. Because that's not going to be as good. A full, <laughs> a full month of Shutter on us. And how do you get that full month? You go to shutter.com backslash podcast. Type in our very own special promo code, A-O-T-K-P. All things you know, and you still got to use your crutch of your notes. You can do I, this. It's not a crutch. I come prepared. <laughs> Obviously. You, all right, next show. Fucking no, no notes. Say, <laughs> I'm winging the whole thing. We'll see what happens. What he meant to say was it's a twelfth of a year. Yeah. That's exactly what I... Also, I should mention... <laughs> That uh, if you want to help support our show, you could sign up today. Do it today for our Patreon. Go to patreon.com backslash AOTKP and pick the tier that best suits you. But choose wisely because there are various various perks you can get based on the <laughs> tier like you warning. choose. Yeah, like there's one perk that's evil. Well, there's the one perk that, you know, does cause blisters and eventually right, right. blindness and but you'll death. never know till it's too late exactly um but you you can get but if you choose the right one you can get cool stuff like bonus episodes special videos insane mics one minute top 10 list and so much more so go to patreon.com backslash aotkp be awesome and now it's time to introduce you to the podcast crew. So if you thought the rest of that went so well, let's see how these, these go. Okay. He saw his sister crying and asked if she was having a crisis. Tad good, everybody. <laughs> nope, not better. <laughs> <laughs> he says he hates his brother's guts, so then why does he keep putting them on his sandwiches? Andy Wassum, everybody. <laughs> Hey, how's it going? My brother was a dick to me growing up. <laughs> and lastly, when they were kids, his younger brother said he couldn't wait for fall, so he tripped him. Jason Bollinger. Oh, hey everybody! Thanks for listening. I'm so happy that you're here. That you're still here after all that intro. Yes. Of mess. Okay, so before we get into anything with the show, we just got back from Crypticon, Kansas City. You sure did. St. Joseph, Missouri? <laughs> that, uh, that makes sense? It does for us. Okay. It won't to anyone who doesn't know. <laughs> and we were all there. At one point, At one yes. point, the, the planets aligned, and we were all there at the same time. So... Yeah, so what'd you guys think of Crypticon? Tad, this is your your first Crypticon, so what what are your thoughts? Um I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. I was trying to think of something funny and insulting to say about you guys cuz I I uh, stayed in a room with you all weekend, but um you couldn't think of anything because there wasn't anything bad. No, I just thought it would be in bad spirits cuz you guys were nice enough to invite me and let oh. me crash your room and uh, take up a seat in your vehicle, so that was a lot of fun. Anytime I go with you guys, it's a lot of fun, no matter where we go. Yeah, if you're going, right. If you're going in a court, it'd still be fun. <laughs> if we went to jail together, it'd be fun. That would be but, fun. Uh, 
it was a lot of a lot of fun. I've been to other conventions, but this was sort of my first um, specific horror specific convention and my first Crypticon. So, who was the highlight as far as celebs go for you? I think we all know the answer. It's going to yeah, be kind the of same question. one that you and Jason have. Um, <laughs> definitely Joe Bob Briggs. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I realize like now that was a guess, dumb question. Can I guess Andy's favorite? <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. Is it Keith David? Uh, yeah, with uh, Bill Mosley running a a very close second. I just figured you would want to rub your nose in it because uh, I didn't get over to Keith Davis' table in time. But I, oh no, I didn't even get to either. where he was, where his area was <laughs> in time. I, I honestly don't even know where they had him. He was next to the Halloween 2018 cast. Oh, yeah, around the corner from Jake. That, yeah, around the corner from Jake. Okay. Yeah, that table was empty like the whole time I was there. I kept wondering who was there. I, did I miss somebody from the cast of Halloween? Because he was in a weird spot. Yeah. I made okay. it a point to make a beeline to him, like right when I got in the door, because I knew he was leaving early. Did he have so. a big line since, like, he was out, he had an early out? <laughs> he he had a decent one. I know Stephen Tracy was not far behind me. Uh, Good. That's in, where he, that's where he belongs. It's behind you. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he he was he was pretty cool. I mean, uh, or I guess are we doing me now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it's okay, called a segue. Uh, uh, but I had a uh, I didn't get a chance to show it to you guys, but it was uh, I had my DVD insert that. Rowdy and Meg have signed, so oh, cool. now like my signature is complete. Unless I can get, unless I can get John Carpenter's, which will be, you know, a lot more difficult. Um, You're never going to get Buck Flower, though. Oh, I know that stinks. Um, but I had a uh, a promo still of Keith David from They Live, and it's just before the fight breaks out in the alley. And he's pointing his finger towards Rowdy, you know, saying, hey, you better go away before, you know, where nobody can find you. But he also says, look, you crazy mother, you know, because he keeps telling him to put the glasses on. So uh, I had him sign to Andy, look, look, you crazy mother, Keith David. So <laughs> that, that is that is already up on the wall. I'm, I'm very I'm very proud of that one. And uh, Bill, Bill Mosley was. Uh, was really really cool. Uh, I had my uh, Night of the Living Dead uh, poster, nice. the the, Sav- the Savini remake. Yeah, it was already signed by Tony Todd, and it was already signed by uh, Tom Savini, and he signed it. You know, Johnny Bill Mosley, and I had my Devil's Rejects DVD that's got a bunch of signatures on it, and he signed that. One problem, when I put it away. His uh, autograph smeared a little. It smudged. I'll throw it away. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but what I'm going to do, um, since I'm freaking anal retentive about it, I'm having him sign it again. I don't care. <laughs> um, however, but I did also, as I was flipping through my book that I, you know, I store a lot of my, uh, um, uh, a lot of my, a lot of my stuff in. It's just these clear plastic sleeves. Mm-hmm. He saw my Devil's Rejects uh, pr- uh, promotional 
cards that has all their mug shots. And, and Bill Mosey just goes, hey, man, give me that. And he just, he signed that one for free. He signed it, Bail Me Out, Bill Mosley. And he wrote Otis underneath of it. I was just nice. like, oh, man. That was so cool, and he didn't—he didn't even have to do that. So, yeah, and the fact that I got uh, Keith David to crack up, and Daniel got a, a really good picture of us interacting—that that'll probably—that's gonna probably gonna make it up, make its way to the wall someday too. So, that was awesome. the really really cool, pl- and and the vendors, the vendors are always awesome, and I. Sp- I, I spent a pretty pity on a on a poster that I've been gunning. I, I don't. Should I leave that for a video? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. I forgot about that because I was going to spill the beans on my. Well, table. I mean, I guess. Well, I've, you can talk I've, about I've, it, video, of course. You can show it in the You'll video. You get to see it. Well, I, in the video. Good point. But yes, of course. An, an original one sheet of the uh, Return of the Living Dead. Woo! I have an original one sheet now. Yeah, and I got to buy a special frame for it because it's 27 by 41, and I'm not folding over something that I paid good money for. Screw that. Yeah. Yeah, no shit. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, it was a good year. It was a lot of fun. Um, You know, one of the things that I love about that particular show is just by this point, we've gone so many years and we've met so many people and connected with so many different different people it's just like a reunion when we go there and we just get to see a lot of friends we don't normally get to see i swear it was it was like an hour and i hadn't even made it down one aisle of the convention center you know because i just kept stopping and talking to everybody and it was cool to be to to be in that place you know to be in that environment and being around always awesome being around like-minded people and stuff and how we've just gotten to get to uh, know so many of them over the years. Yeah. Yeah, it was my first one, and I I got in ahead of you guys because I bought my tickets in advance. Yeah, whatever. So, so I, went, I. I went inside while you guys stood outside in the heat, and <laughs> I, too, did not make it inside the, past the first row, and I had, like, five people. And I'm like, how do people here even know me? Like, I'm, I'm, this is my first time I mean, not my first time to Kansas City, so you know, I ran. We ran into you know the Nightmare Junkhead guy. You know, we ran into uh, Genius, and I just you know I kept seeing people. I kept hearing my name being yelled at, you know, yelled out, and that was. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but you're kind of a big deal. Oh yeah, you, you two are both kind of a big deal. Well, every I mean everybody, like you said, it's like a giant family in Kansas City. Yeah. I think. Uh, yeah. It's not going to be something at every uh, horror con, but that one definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely for sure. We've we've definitely become part of that. There's a like a whole culture and society down there in Kansas City of horror fans, um, and it's pretty cool that we've kind of been adopted into that family. So, mm-hmm. uh, what? Well, the thing I was wanted to say, I wanted. To- that you know in most of these i think i can speak for most of them you go to these things and like you said we're with like-minded people and it's always it's a, just a very very cool and inviting kind of vibe there's no real you know jerks there i mean you know horror fans are like the you know oddly enough for all the murder and mayhem that surround us you know content wise we're the most level-headed nice 
nicest people that I know. You know, of course mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna find a jerk wherever you go. But oh yeah, um, you like know, Mike you Reed. Go- <laughs> <laughs> this is the worst. We love you, Mike. Oh, that bastard. Um, <laughs> no, uh, but you go to like a football game, you run the risk of getting into a fist fight with some, you know, just some belligerent, you know, drunk or whatever, you know, but this, this, you go to these things, it's just like you're, you're going to a party with like, uh, you know, a couple hundred friends. It's, that's, that's one, that's one of the, another reasons why I love going to these things. Everybody's just like, Hey, nice shirt. Hey, nice shirt. Oh man, that's great. You know, where'd you get that? You know, you just, that's like, that's what you hear like all day. Yeah. You run the risk of um, getting un- unwanted hugs or um, <laughs> r- running into celebrities in the food truck line or, or peeing next to uh, Jake Busey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there's all the shopping. Yeah, I, I had a kind of a thing um, over the weekend where I'm like, you did you know, put a salve on it's, it? It's, did it go away? It's you, it. Oh. It feels like it's becoming more and more about the shopping for me, <laughs> and less about the experiences with like celebrities and panels and stuff like that. So I'm gonna say it now, and I'll change my mind next year anyway. But uh, I, I kind of want to go with the goal of maybe focusing a little more on the celebrity interactions. I only got two autographs this year, and then. Part of that is just my protest of overcharging for the ridiculous charging for autographs and pictures and all that shit. I understand charging, but it feels like every year it goes up and up and up, and um, yep. there's more and more stipulations to it. Like, you know, there was a time, even in my short history of going to cons, there was a time where you could get a picture for free with. With the paid once you paid for the autograph, nobody does that anymore. It's always a package deal of like you Ugh. either pay for the picture, a, a selfie with the person, or you pay for the autograph, or you could do the combo of both for a little lesser price. But so, so I kind of been protesting that for a while now, but uh, at the same time, too, like you know, it'd have been nice to have a little interaction time with people like D. Wallace or. You know what have you, but uh, I mean, I got the two that I was the most concerned about, and that was, uh, of course, Joe Bob Briggs, and um, the and the big one for me was Shawnee Smith, and oh, she's still so gorgeous to this day, and made the mistake of looking up how old she is, and she's actually <laughs> the same age as my ex-wife, and I'm like, man, there was a chance. So you're saying there was, there was a, a chance, chance, and I <laughs> blew it. Oh. But for real, when you <laughs> when you talk pairs. about about the yeah, talking about the uh, price of autographs, I will say Joe Bob he's one yep. that still gets free pictures with an autograph, yep. and That's his true. prices were very uh, reasonable. You could get a fright be. rack shirt like eight dollars cheaper at his table than if you ordered it from fright oh, racks. Wow. What's yeah. up with that? Yeah, it was twenty bucks up. at his table. They're twenty eight dollars on fright rags. What's up, fright rags? <laughs> you know Tad's you calling you out well I was like you know that's that's crazy like is Joe Bob like losing money on a shirt you know you can buy that and get him to sign it but you know I, I almost bought a shirt and then just got a picture but then I'm like oh, I want something signed too I don't want to get a shirt signed because it's hard to frame it's not as cool to frame a shirt as it is a poster 8x10 yeah. 
But you know what? Like, I will say the psychology of this is something, you know, since it's sort of new to me, the way it's done at this convention um, is like, I felt weird about just at, like paying for just a selfie, even yeah. though most of them offer just that. I was afraid, like, what happens if I lose my phone or drop my phone? Then I have nothing, yeah. you know, so I, I should probably get an autograph. In my mind, I'm like, or or they'll, uh, I feel awkward asking them, like, I'm just getting a selfie, no autograph. Or yeah, uh, It's like the creepy option. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then, <laughs> you know, there's that... I don't know. It's just, it is like a psychological thing where I'm like looking at Joe Bob stuff and I'm like, his stuff's really, you know, I got, I paid $30 for a signed 11 by 17 poster and I got a picture with him and I got to talk to him for quite a bit. Yeah. And it's like, you know, that's, that's le- that's cheaper than most people even started with their signatures. Exactly. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and, uh, but then it, like there was another one, uh, Sid Haig was doing, you know, if you bought anything from his table, or even if you just paid the ten dollars to get your item signed, you got a free picture with him. Uh, he's so notoriously he's still, stuck to the original prices. Yeah, and it's know. like, and it's not. I'm not trying to call anyone else out, but it's interesting to think about that. Like, he's stuck to his guns, and he has no obligation to do that. His, you know, he's one of the bigger names there, even though you know he does conventions very frequently. There's he, I do not doubt at all that his line would be just as long if he was charging for another ten bucks for a selfie, or uh, you know what I mean. Like, and yeah. he's sitting right next to to Berryman and uh, Bill Mosley, and they're ch- both charging separate prices, an extra you know charge for a selfie and that, and I don't know. It's just weird. I believe he met his uh, his spouse uh, at at a convention. Sid Haig did. I believe you said that. Oh, hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Way to go, Sid. Um, well, and don't, and don't, get, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I feel like, especially with Crypticon Kansas City, I always feel like they get a good set of celebrities that, you know, that don't charge a lot for their autographs or will also do the selfie. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that there's still not decent prices out there for that kind of stuff, but... You know, there's some of those that, like, it's just ridiculous. And, like, it, or God forbid you go to a Comic-Con. Oh. You know, I, I, I've I been to two Comic-Cons, and I only have ever done one autograph, and that was Elvira. But, mm-hmm. like, I'll probably never get Robert England's autograph. I'm not paying that. <laughs> you know, and I feel like, you know, in, like, a Comic-Con, they keep all the celebrities, like, so segregated off, and it feels like every single one of them's got like an armed guard, you know. <laughs> and it almost feels like I shouldn't even be looking in their direction, or I should pay them money. You know, but so, that's why we've always liked Crypticon, yeah, because it was so mingly. Yeah, and that's the thing too, because you could complain that it's not the best run con. Because it's not. There's issues. There's always been issues. Always organizational. Always organizational issues. I, I, I still, I don't care who hears it, I, I still feel like they do a horrible job with their panels. Yep. Um, sorry, but but all of, for me, that all of that is forgiven. That, to me, that stuff, make it, that stuff is made up for the fact that I feel like we get much better interaction with the celebrities 
at a place like that than at like a well organized, well oiled Crypticon or some or Comic Con or something like that. So. Yeah. And it feels because like, we've been to some disorganized fucking events, and it feels like the more disorganized it is, the more interaction you get with that celebrity. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, like, like the first time you and I ever met Joe Bob. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of interactions with Joe Bob, how great was his interaction with Tad? That was awesome. And God, right? I wish my mind at my age was half as strong as his brain is at his age. Like, once the once you and Tad your conversation started with him, he remembered the name of the town that you were from and all that shit. I'm like, oh my god, yeah, yeah. You didn't like say we, the name we of your just, town. He said it first, and it's like, yeah, what? we're like catching up, like old friends catching up. He's like, oh, Burlington, yeah, Tad, okay, I know who you know. And then oh. he's like, well, let's make it happen, you know. And yeah, and like I said, I was sort of talking about earlier with the thing is like because his prices were cheaper, and I knew we got a free picture, like. I did not feel, I felt like, oh, you know, instead of getting a $20 8x10, I don't feel bad spending the extra 10 bucks to get the poster that I really like, an extra 10 bucks because I'm going to get a picture for free, you know, I'm not paying a little extra, and I, and he took the time to talk to us, and yeah. it felt um, more genuine, you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, like my interaction with him compared to, um... Daniel Harris was like night and day. Night and day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's all we want is just to hang out and talk movies with Joe Bob anyway. So. Oh, yeah. God. That, you, <laughs> you definitely need to get him for uh, Snake, Alley. Snake Alley next year or some kind of event, man. Just. Yeah, uh, I think I should just probably like tomorrow just email us <laughs> people. Like, no, for real. Yep. Like, I could probably start the ball rolling now and say, you know, lock him in for a Saturday, he said, you know, if I can yep. get a Saturday, we can make it work, and I believe him, he's not, you know... And get him to do one of his presentations? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, fuck, yeah. Yeah. But then what's, also what's the offer to, also offer to take him to dinner and invite Jason and I, too, That's so right. the, the three of us could just sit down. Well, Andy, you can come. <laughs> so the four of us could sit down no. and just Andy's, talk movies Andy's with him. skipped the film festival, like, the last two That's, years, so, Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Andy, you're out. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was getting married. <laughs> you're bad. Um, who's who's the girl that's uh, that hosts the show with him? I know that I'm not. I haven't been catching up. I what, what's her name on the show? Dar- Darcy, Darcy, the male girl. Yeah. Darcy, the male girl. And literally, I heard the guy from like the guy that was running the uh, vinegar syndrome table. I literally heard him go on and on for like. 10 to 15 minutes in graphic detail about her porn career. <laughs> I'm ser- I'm serious, you know. The, yeah, I, I won't get, say anything remotely close to what he said. It's just like, well, she does stuff like this and this, this and this. I'm like, really, dude? Do you have to? I mean, like, you're not trying to sell any of her DVDs here. But, I mean, <laughs> he was like... He was like going off, like, about, you know, how her, well... Yeah, how unconvincing her acting is, you know, in like certain scenes. He just goes, "Yeah, I watch porno. It's what I do." I'm just like, "Well, okay, I guess you know, you I'll work just for take Z- this." You work for vinegar syndrome. More than likely, you're going to see a porn once or twice. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah and I was just like, "Well, I would, you know, you know, I, that's great and all. How you know, Darcy takes the D, but can I borrow the? Can I buy this copy of Splatter University and just get the <laughs> hell out of here?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just 
but yeah, that's that's another memory. I'm just like, wow, this guy's like really graphic. So yeah, I, what a- I am not a very big fan of Darcy on the show, but I want to give her uh, right here on the show. Give her tons of props for her etiquette at at, at Crypticon. I go, you go to these things, and usually, like the celebrity will have some kind of assistant with them, whether it you know to handle the money or whatever, whether it's somebody that uh, a volunteer that works for Crypticon or whatever convention, or if it's like a sibling or um, a husband or a wife or child or whoever um, that's working the money. And there have been times I've gone up the table and I've got like a wad of money in my hand, ready to, and like. You know, no one's in there, you know, like the celebrity's already busy talking to somebody and the other person who's run in charge of the money is just kind of standing there looking at their phone or whatever, not paying any attention to me when I'm standing there ready to pay and get what I want. And there's so many interactions like that. But with Darcy, she was just like right there interacting with everybody that walked up to the table. So what can I get for you? What can I, you know, you know, do you want an eight by 10? You want a poster? You want a shirt? What do you want? You know, always, always willing to help out with the with the photo ops too. She was even helping people take picture, to, you know, taking their pictures for them, stuff like that. And the thing is, that she could very easily be, well, I'm a celebrity too because I'm on the show. But she's, right. but she's not that. She wasn't that way at all. Not in any way. In any way. And I thought that was awesome. So I want to give her huge props, man. She was, she was class act. awesome. Very class act. Yes. She even got a picture with John. <laughs> oh my, yes. Our buddy John Sullivan. Oh, Johnny Sullivan. <laughs> oh. And when he did it, she was, uh, Joe Bob was with somebody, and she's like, well, let's wait for them to get done with their interaction first. Don't want to spoil anything for them. And she waited for that fan to leave Joe Bob. And, and then she's like, okay. You can come on back now, John. And, and Joe Bob gets up and gets ready, and she's like, "Not you, Joe Bob. This one's for me." <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, fine." And he's joking around with her. It was pretty great. Yeah, you think Joe Bob would be tired of signing stuff for John? That was like the third his third yeah. trip back to the table <laughs> for real. <laughs> well, like you were saying earlier about the interaction and how she was doing really good. Um, once again, sort of night and day with Daniel Harris, like whoever was helping her clearly had, I'm like, I'm not even sure they worked for (laughs) Crypticon or anybody because I walked up with my money and I'm like, I'm going to get a, a, I'm going to get the picture and the uh, autograph. And she like turned the sign around to see how much it was. Oh Jesus. And then then she said to the other, like another woman that was helping, was it Kane Hodder like next to her was like, um, how do I tell Danielle that he's getting a selfie and an autograph. I'm like, you can tell her she's fucking two feet from you. Like, <laughs> she, if you could tell her to get off wow. her, Danielle to get off her phone for a second, um, you could probably tell her. But it was like she was afraid to tell Danielle because Danielle was sitting at her autograph table on her phone the entire time. That's what I was going to say. 100% of the time she wasn't with a fan. She was on her phone. And my yeah. me and Jason wasn't it wasn't horrible for me no, and Jason no. like she put her phone down and was very nice to us but the yep. fan that was after me like we both sort of stepped back and you know you let your autograph dry and you just sort of hang out for a second and uh, the fan behind me stepped up and I saw her and he was clearly a little more socially awkward <laughs> I mean 
Not that me yeah. and Jason are fucking right. Rico Suave, but this kid was clearly <laughs> hey. like very, very taken back by her. And he steps up, and he's holding the the picture, and he's very excited. And I could not tell. It was awkward because she acted as if he wasn't there, and I felt like a tension because yeah. he didn't want to interrupt her or say anything. So I almost wanted to step in and be like, uh, "Hey, he's he's here." Mm-hmm. Uh, say something because I didn't know she noticed and then she sort of looked up and saw him she goes uh, let me finish I'm almost done hold oh on my. a second hold on a second and she's like finished the text she puts it down she's like okay um, do you just want need a signature and it was sort of like what are you texting that's so damn important right now Yeah. like right now you know and this poor kid he's like he's already super tense super you know awkward yeah. anxiety through the roof and and He's probably like, oh, shit, does she see me? What do I do? I can only imagine what was going through his head, you know? And it just, like like you said, the complete opposite of Joe Bob's experience where they're there for us and, you know, his, your, your uh, undivided attention. My, my takeaway from that story is that Rico Suave is his example of what's cool. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Fuck yeah. If, if Rico Suave walked up to the table, Danielle would put her phone right down. That's right. But she was great. She was in Boy Meets World, so I had to. Oh, she her. wasn't like she, she was, was not mean at all or anything. Oh, I'm just no. saying, and I'm sure uh, she's probably pretty jaded because she gets creepy dudes hitting on her all the time at conventions. All and she day. Had, and she, I mean, she clearly. Uh, most people probably know she had a very serious stalker problem at one yeah. time. Yeah, I was gonna uh, mention that. You know, and she took a break from from conventions for a while because of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, yeah. So, the, the stalker thing's definitely not cool, but. Yeah, but as far as like you know, guys oogling over her, like she's seen some of the pick eight by tens that are on her table, you know. Yeah, yeah sex sells, right? Yeah, I mean, she I, was- I, my 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 experiencing was 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 pretty good. I mean, she she talked with me a little bit. And I was just like, yeah, my my Halloween five posters, a little ratty. It's just like, babe, <laughs> she's like, yeah looks about in the same shape as mine you know but you know you're she probably got hers like brand new which because she was in it but you know uh i have danielle with me taking pics so i mean that's a little bit less you know i'm assuming that's probably a little more disarming you know so she's not you know just not yeah you know, yeah she has yeah. another yeah i'm not some drooling you know fanboy going hey eh, that might take there you know so and that's the thing too. Like I had somebody just ask me over the weekend, like, what was my worst celebrity interaction, my worst celebrity experience. And as far as cons go, I couldn't really think of any. The closest thing for me was I was I was disappointed in my interaction with Ken Foray a couple a few years back at Crypticon, mm. and just because like he just wasn't very responsive. You know, it was just kind of like, you know. Here's a signature, here's a picture, you know, picture together. and He wasn't a jerk or anything, he just, I don't know. And it just, and his panel was really weird too, so I was thinking he was just having an off weekend. But, you know, but again, he wasn't a jerk, and if that's the worst I can think of, then that that's pretty cool. Uh, Tom Tom's a little grumpy. Uh, he's like, kind of like, well, I, I, yeah, I've always been a huge Savini fan, but I've, I, I am too, but ever since the stories came out or started coming out about how he is 
with fans and conventions and stuff. I, I stay away from his table anymore. I had my meet and greet with him way back in college, so that was enough for me. I, it seems but, like everybody was avoiding his table all weekend. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. I, I went up because I had a Creepshow 2 uh, Italian poster that, I got, that I'm going to get framed, but... I said to myself after that one, because it was just so bland and because it was like the person that was uh, helping him was more interested in me than he was. I was just like, oh my gosh, what kind of poster is that? I was like, I I got it from, I I told her where I got it from. I got it from this dealer that I know on eBay and everything, and I've bought from him before. And, um... Basically, when he pulled it out to sign the top part, because on these Italian posters, they have this big blank top space, which I thought would be perfect, you know, for the autograph, because he was the creep in Creep Show 2. And basically, I, be, I said, she said, is that Spanish? I was like, no, I believe it's, uh, I believe it's Italian. And he just kind of, he didn't really say anything. And he just pulled it out further and started looking at, you know, the things like, yeah, I believe that is, you know, it's like, would you, you know, it's like, uh, and I asked him, like, what, can I have a picture? And he just posed it with me. And it's just like, you know, he did everything but, you know, pat me on my butt and send me on my way. You know, it was just, it was very, it was very, um, like, uh, you know, just assembly line. That's what it felt like. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's probably the last one. Even though I do want... I always thought about getting like a very small uh, Day of the Dead poster and having him write something about the moose clit on it, but uh, <laughs> I always want I I always wanted that, but may, maybe we'll 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 see we'll see. So do you always sort of go in with uh, what you want them to sign on it? Is that something that you try you tend to do? Because it seems like a, an overrunning theme in your posters is that you like strive to get something unique to you. Uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit. It depends. It depends on what it is. Like, I mean, if I could get like a Ken Faree eight by ten, I would want him to write like, uh, and it wouldn't be Dawn of the Dawn of the Dead. I know that disappoints uh, Mike, but yeah, we're done. Yeah, I, I, w- I would want I would want Rob Zombie's uh, Halloween. I want him to write, "I'm Joe Grizzly, bitch," and then write, you know, Ken. I would want that. Um. But yeah, I guess I guess it all it all depends. Um, it just it just um, I think it makes it stand out a little bit more. I mean, I don't like and, and I kind of just I say if I can make a request, you know, could you please, you know, you know, if I could be so bold, you know, I I try to be humble when I ask for it, you know, because I mean they're they're there all day. They don't need to be writing extra shit. But nine times out of ten, they're really cool about it and. Uh, I didn't ask, you know, Bill Mosley to write "Bail Me Out." I didn't ask him to write anything on that, and I just, I just kind of lucked out on that one. Yeah, he wrote. Uh, I got the picture of Otis like holding a little radio up to his head, with like a dumb smile on his face, and he wrote like "Rock on, Tad." <laughs> <laughs> and I awesome. thought that was cool. And then like. Joe Bob uh, wrote, you know, the driving king of, to the drive to the driving king of Burlington. <laughs> Joe, Bo- that's really cool. So yeah, now that's yeah. my official title. I'm making business cards. Official <laughs> title. <laughs> <laughs> Very 
Very I want true. t-shirts. I want a Fright Rags <laughs> Tad Good King of Drive Burlington Drive-In. That's awesome. It'll be on his table at Halloween yep. Palooza. Don't worry. <laughs> yep. Cool. So yeah. So sounds like it was another successful year of CryptCon. Jason, yep. I don't think we heard your highlight. What was your highlight? Oh, same same as yours, Joe Bob, and just like Joe Bob and Shawnee Smith, because she was in summer school. Was she super nice? She was super she nice. She was super nice. A little sweetie. Good. And I really, other than the um, asshole who took a phone call during the panel, I really enjoyed <laughs> her, her and Tobin's panel. I feel like... Yeah. When Tobin's talking about how she would try to pull practical jokes on the set of, of the Saw movies, yeah. like he's like dark, serious, no you know, humorless movies of the Saw franchise, and then here's bubbly old Shawnee Smith who's you know putting whoopee cushions on people's chairs behind the scenes. Nice. I I did it. Any of you? I don't think any any of us caught um, Bill Mosley's uh, and Sid Haig's. Uh, panel with Michael Berryman, right? Nope. No, we missed it. I, I mean, I didn't really want to go because, you know, like I said, I've sort of feel like I've heard everything about rejects and <laughs> corpses and uh, just about everything Rob Zombie. But um, I was just sort of curious to hear because, I mean, I've probably tirelessly talked about how uh, sort of quiet and subdued. Uh, Sid Haig seemed, but I mean, it was his 80th birthday, yeah, and the yeah. guy was there from morning to night every day. But uh, I was just sort of curious to see if he was a little more lively in the panel, or you know, if he's having an off day, or he's just fucking 80 years old, and that's just how 80 year olds are. You know, he's probably, <laughs> I mean, fuck, I'm probably, you know, most people are lucky to be alive at 80, and he's traveling the world signing autographs for people. You know, Jason, yeah. Jason spotted him walking, which I doubt. You know, it's like fucking Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a little weird seeing him walking around, walking to the bathroom. Yep, he walked right by us. I said, happy birthday, Sid. And without breaking his stride, he's like, thank you. But he he didn't turn his head at all. He just kept going. He probably would have fallen over if yeah. he tried to turn around to look at you. So. <laughs> I'm giving him a pass make, on that. Make the man pivot and break his hip, why don't you? Sorry. Jesus. He he was just recently on the movie Crypt and, yep. and he definitely sounds a little more subdued, you know. And you know, plus, you know, who I mean, everything I've heard about the guy is like a super sweet guy, awesome guy. And maybe he yeah. is just normally just a little more subdued. We're just used to seeing him playing assholes and maniacs. I thought he was a lot livelier on the movie Crypt than he was in person. At Crypticon, and when, but it was still well, yeah, way but, less than normal. Well, people. I mean, the one you know, we get a little little taste of him in the Three from Hell trailer, and he's definitely classic Sid Haig. So we know he's there; yeah, he's, it's there. Yeah, and you know, I, I I just imagine, you know, traveling probably takes it out of you. Um, you know, it's just most you put most eighty year olds, you know, in that situation, they're probably not going to be as animated. He can't always be. I guess in that situation, but I just felt sort of conflicted because, you know, of course I wanted to meet him before because we, you know, it's morbid, but our time with Sid, Sid Haig right now is very limited, yeah. you know, uh, and I don't know when, if and when there will be a next time. So I thought, you know, I better meet him. But on the other hand, I was sort of like, 
you know, under these conditions is sort of weird. And I felt sort of, I mean, on the, on the flip side of it, and I talked to you guys a little bit about it. Um, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but the little boy from the new Halloween was there signing autographs. And he's like, you know, what, 10 years old, eight <laughs> years old, like something it. like that. Yeah. yeah. You know? And it's like, man, what a weird life for him too. He's here all weekend signing autographs for, you know, nerdy adults. What kind of, childhood is that i feel like he should be out you know playing with his friends or something but um yeah. you know and it's like i felt conflicted there because he was clearly bored out of his mind running around the entire place <laughs> all the time throwing trash down to the trash can hustling me the whole time He's uh, working you hard yeah and you know good for him but it's like and it's you know i'm not saying like oh his parents should be ashamed he's doing this you know because what's the difference between doing that and acting you know that's a job too but it just seems crazy to like have a kid out on the convention circuit already at that age. Uh, I don't know if he, if he's having fun and he's, you know, hopefully he gets some, gets to spend some of his money on fun stuff, you know, or hopefully it goes to his college fun, something down the line. But I just felt sort of, <laughs> just weird, sort of yeah. conflicted. Like, I don't know, like let a kid I, be a kid. Yeah. I feel like he should maybe be talking to Corey Feldman right now and maybe getting some tips about, you know, <laughs> Uh, what the not pitfalls. to do? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I, Corey, I mean, yeah, we sort of joke about it, but fuck, Corey's alive and he's well, you know. Uh, he, Corey, you know, is a prime example of, I, I guess, sort of escaping the... Yeah, he made his know, way through the fire, you know. So. Right, and he's on the other side and he, he's yeah. lived to tell the story about it. He's not all completely there. He didn't come out unscathed, but, um, yeah. you know, as much as we like to joke and see him sort of fall on his face over and over again uh i don't know if that's so much because he's a he was a former child star more so just because of his personality but um you know he is a i don't know like i said he's he's the the cory that lived yeah you know, yeah he's not he's not Haim. true so you know but you know, he he could probably could give some good advice. You know, on what to do and what not to do. And and that's what I and that's what I meant. You know, it's just right. You know, uh, when you when you spoke of Sid Haig, when you know, and when I met him four, I think four four or five years ago, um, Danielle had got um, Ken Faree's autograph for me on on my Devil's Rejects. Uh, dvd and he wrote it in big letters on the front right and just huge and when the first thing i met when the first thing i said when i met uh sid haig and i said ah ken kind of you know took the marquee from you right there and he's like yeah and he kind of grabs the dvd kind of looks at it shakes and says yeah fucking guy you know <laughs> just put it that, that's exactly the exact words i just it was hilarious you know he just uh he just wrote it, uh, and I didn't ask him to write anything special on it either. He says, "On our way to hell, Sid Haig," you know, because it shows the three of the Devil's Rejects walking. And but yeah, uh, that's that's how I, you know, if you know, if you know, God forbid, it doesn't happen soon, you know. But when Sid leaves us, that's how I want to remember him, and that maybe I don't know subconsciously, maybe that's why I didn't want to. I didn't get the autograph this time you know because well, if know you've yeah if you've had one good interaction with them you know let it be that's that's good yeah, yeah. i didn't i didn't when you seen you know because he was you know he was animated and he was you know kind of joking around with me and everything and um 
I just I saw I saw him, you know, and I didn't I didn't see like you know some weak decrepit old man, but I just I noticed I noticed a difference. Let's just say that. Cool, cool. Yeah, already excited for next year. So absolutely. So yeah, we should probably get into. Uh, Oh, there's an episode, oh, too? Yeah, that's right. We still have to do um, uh, Tad's segment. So, Tad, why don't you take it away? Oh, shit, yeah. I <laughs> guess we'll go into, uh, since we we just did um, what we who we met, we will go into what we watched. Which is uh, our segment where we talk about what we watch that's not on the podcast. Um, I guess we'll go ahead and get this over with. Jason, what did you watch? I don't have that many, but I'm glad I got to go first. Because <laughs> um, I can segue it with uh, Crypticon and our trip down there. We took the, I count these two, so you can you guys can put them on your list or not. But uh, we got there, we plugged in the Roku. <laughs> And then they were they were doing the original Joe Bob marathon marathon marathon. So I watched Rabid and Sleepaway Camp again, but from nice. beginning to end because I didn't put them on my list because I didn't watch them all the way through. I did. Um, I know you all fell asleep. Um, I also watched uh, Shazam. It's not horror, but finally got to watch that, and that was pretty good. Um, and then I watched um, Invasion of the Blood Farmers from 1972. <laughs> and I also watched Stage Fright awesome. Aquarius from 1987. What? Uh, Invasion of the Blood Farmers. Awesome. No, it's not. And uh, But those two movies Mike and I both watched because we're um, going to be guesting on an episode of... Um, late night, late night psychorama. Oh, I just blanked out there. But yeah, we're gonna record on their show this week, and so we watched those two. Why those two together? I don't know, but I thought invasion. Well, you'll, I'll, I'll give you the quick touch. Invasion of the Blood Farmers, not so good. Stage fright, though, I freaking loved it. It was great, except for the ending. But yeah, we can we'll get into that on late night psychorama. Right, but that's that's all I watched. Kind of just been busy. Hey, that's, yeah, that's me. All right, um, Andy, what'd you watch? Well, um, since the wife got back from her trip, I was able to finish uh, Stranger Things three Woo! all the way all the way through. Really, really liked it. I won't elaborate on it because I figure most of us have seen it and most of our listeners have as well. Really enjoyed it. Looking looking forward to Stranger Things 4. I also watched uh, Hotel Artemis recently. This is the one with uh, Jodie Foster and Jeff Goldblum and uh, Zachary Quinto, Dave Bautista. Uh, it's, just, it's about a hotel that just treats criminals and it's run run by this you know criminal kingpin and it was it was it was solid i i liked it it was pretty it was pretty good 
Um, not a horror movie, but I watched it because I loved who was in it. Uh, it's called Career Opportunities with Jennifer Connelly. Oh, and, yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, yeah. The thought of being uh, locked in a Target all night with Jennifer Connelly just really appeals to me. So, uh, mm-hmm. awesome. Um, and I have attempted but to watch it, but I have not, you know, just haven't got through it, so I can't really say that I've watched it yet, but I've watched a lot of the special features. Um, uh, it's, ba- it's my Vinegar Syndrome uh, Splatter University uh, Blu-ray, so I need to get through that, but between that and Stranger Things and all this other stuff, I mean, I didn't have t- much time to watch much else, but liked what I saw. Excellent. Yep. So I guess that uh, leads to you, Mike. What do you watch? Cool. Yeah, my list is pretty short too. It's probably good after all the Crypticon talk that uh, we all have <laughs> short segment. short lists. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's keep moving. <laughs> exactly. But um, uh, Jason forgot to mention that we went and saw Crawl. You yep. know that or you were leaving it for me. I I remembered it right after I went. So. So yeah, and that was that was really good. I mean, yeah. I mean I've always been a big um, Alexander Aja fan. Definitely. Um, you know, but that oh man, this movie is just. Ted saw it too. It's yeah, just I watched it last night. Edge of your seat the whole way through. Freaking loved it. Yes, for, a lot of fun. It. Very good. Um, at Crypticon, I went a little bit overboard <laughs> at the Vinegar Cinema <laughs> table. Uh, uh, <laughs> eight Blu-rays. And I'm slowly getting through them. So the only two I've really gotten through, because, and all of them have a lot of great features. So I'm I'm covering each disc from front to back, you know. So that's why I've only gotten two watched through so far. I picked up um, Lust in the Dust, the uh, Paul Bartel movie with Divine in the Old West. Oh freaking, wow! Yeah, I freaking love that movie, and I was so excited at Vinegar Syndrome. And now I think it was earlier this year when they just just now put it out on Blu-ray. So I was pretty happy that was on the table. That was like the first thing I grabbed. And then Don Doler's uh, Night Beast, which I've always been a big fan of of that movie, dating all the way back when I first had it on VHS on the Paragon Video label. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, old Paragon Video. Um, and But this was another nice, beautiful Blu-ray rest- restoration. The film has never looked so good. It has no right to look this good. Um, it's very, very beautiful. A great commentary track with uh, Dom Doler and, uh, crap, I forget the guy's name. Uh, the actor that's in almost all of Dom Doler's movies. Um, I forget his name right now. He was also in um, John Waters' Polyester. But uh, but it was and it was a great commentary track. Also, the Lust in the Dust commentary track was really good as well. Um, great stuff, great stuff. So, oh, and there was a really cool little mini doc about Paul Bartel on the Lust and Dust um, Blu-ray. Now, I'm a pretty big Paul Bartel fan. I've seen almost all of his movies. I like um, Paul Blart too. Bartel. Oh. Um. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as a director and as an actor, I've seen almost everything he's done, and I eating I just, Raul. Yep, that's one of my favorites. You know, he stars and acts in that one, next to ne- next to Mary Warnoff, who they always did stuff together, whether acting or or in his own films. Um, Shopping mall. Yep, which they reprised the roles of the of the eating out Raoul characters 
uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bland in um, yep in Chopping Mall. So that's cool. Anyway, so and then that's it for me. I mean, I also watched the same ones Jason talked about for the uh, late night Sakurama. Stay tuned for that episode on that on that show for my thoughts on Invasion of the Blood Farmers. Yeah, I think everyone's figured that out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but that's it for me. That's all I've watched. Cool. What about Tad? I watched Crawl last night. Finally got to see it in theaters. I uh, really thought it was pretty much exactly what I went in for. And it kept me completely glued in for the 90 minutes. It was nice and compact and simple. We need more stuff like that. Uh, you know, so if it's in your theater still, go see it, support it, and yeah. try to keep keep that kind of stuff alive. We don't get a lot of you know, low-budget, sort of simple, rated-R horror right now. Um, I, I didn't... I feel like I've uh, watched more, but right. I haven't. So I've, I saw The Lion King, the new Lion King, which is definitely not horror-adjacent, so I won't talk about that much, but I did see it. And then uh, I'm very excited. I have my tickets for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood this Thursday. Oh, so. oh cool. Yeah, I'm excited for that new Tarantino this Thursday, so that's what I watched. Sweet. Yeah. I forgot to tell you, Mike. I think I've come around on Tarantino a little bit. <gasps> really? That's good to know, because I feel like it's my fault that, that you turned on oh, Tarantino in the first place. It's a big... You had a big play in that, for sure. And I didn't even mean to, because I, <laughs> I love Tarantino. But I made the mistake um, earlier on in our friendship of of telling of telling you that Reservoir Dogs was a was based off of this Asian movie called City on Fire. Based off? Mm-hmm. You mean straight ripped off? Ripped off? Straight? It's not lifted. that straight ripped off. The it's, fuck it ain't. It is City on lifted. Fire is more linear storyline than Reservoir Dogs. So he was. cut it. It's the same. He put it in different order. Anyway, so you've come around on Tarantino a little bit. Yeah, he was, and it's, and I, and I meant, I keep meaning to send you the link about it and tell you about it, but, and it's mainly because he was on an episode of one of my favorite podcasts, Pure Cinema. That was a good episode. Fucking right, wasn't it though? Like just I listened to that on the drive to your house and the drive back. <laughs> I mean, El- Elric Kane is one of my favorite podcasters, and because I love his brain, and the same reason why uh, you know, I, I mean, I love Adam and Joe, but Joe Lynch's brain is amazing. Yeah, you know, and so Elric Kane is you know even crazier than Joe's, but I I was just blown away every second that tarantino's brain just put elric's to shame even i'm like jesus christ it was amazing just yeah the retention is unbelievable yeah when i hear him talk it's like i feel like so um inadequate with my film knowledge like i want to take like uh three weeks off work and just learn the history of film because it's like of like maybe a couple years yeah, you know? if you're not paying attention for like ten seconds, he's off on another tangent about something so obscure and random, and it's like, wait, 
you know, I had to hit that like 15 second button. Over <laughs> and over again. Wait, what did I miss? Where are we at now? Why are we talking about this? I mean, the guy's brain goes so much faster than his mouth possibly can, and his mouth goes very fast. It goes faster so than most people. Yeah. Yeah, hard to keep up with Clinton. But, um, you know, love him or hate his direction, the dude knows film better than anyone. And hearing yeah. him talk for two hours about film really made me like him again. And so you got to hear this episode. It's fantastic. And, and it's, I, I, all they do is go over the calendar for the new Beverly Cinema in L.A., which is the theater Quentin runs, and programs. And, you know, they're obviously for this month he programmed everything sort of leading up to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So uh, it's all old Hollywood, you know, but, of course, it it rarely stays on topic. But... <laughs> Hearing him just gush uh, over film. No one loves film like him, man. Yeah, and it was, and to get two hours of it, it was, it just seemed like a very special moment that we all well, got. Have, so, have you guys listened to his um, e- Eli Ross history of horror uncut episode? I keep no, I still haven't gotten to it. No. It's it's not quite as good as the Pure Cinema one, um, but it's cool to hear him talk about horror. Oh yeah. Uh, the only cool. issue I had with it was that Eli kept trying to interject in it. And it's like, <laughs> dude, you have Tarantino at a fucking table. Stop talking about yourself. <laughs> <sighs> like, you, you, all you have to do is say, like, one word and let Tarantino go. And, you know, just step back. And uh, it felt like Eli was sort of interjecting himself a little bit too much. Just my personal opinion. But, you know... It's not necessarily on Eli. It's in anybody. It's like, <laughs> just don't talk. You have Tarantino. Don't talk. Just let him go. Yeah. You know what I wonder? If Quint- if Quentin Tarantino has siblings. I'm trying. I'm trying to get it back. I'm sorry. That's all I had. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I, don't I see know. what you're doing. That's all I had. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of which, <laughs> brothers and sisters and sisters and brothers in horror movies. So... Let's go ahead and get into our first film. Um, see, uh, Jason, what is our first film we're going to talk about? Well, first off, we're going to talk about this sweet little movie from 1988 called Dead Ringers. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Beverly Mantle. By every scientific measure, they are absolutely the same. They share everything. You haven't had any experience until I've had it too. Bev, you've got to try the movie style. She's unbelievable. Doctor, you've cured me. You mean to say there's two of them? They're twins, dear. I think we should drop her, Bev. You drop her. love if it does this to you, can it? Doctor, I think there's something wrong with you. Patients are getting strange. What are they? For working on mutant women. From David Cronenberg, who in The Fly made the fantastic real. Get him out of here! Radical technology was required. Something radical is definitely required. Now, David Cronenberg makes reality ultimate fantasy. Dead Ringers. Separation can be a, a terrifying thing. 
Dead Ringers. It's uh, it's from this guy named uh, David Cronenberg. You ever heard of him? Sounds familiar. Yeah, he's made a movie or two. Yes. Mm-hmm. This movie's about Elliot, played by Jeremy Irons, a successful gynecologist, works at the same practice as his identical twin, Beverly, also played by Jeremy Irons. Elliot is attracted to many of his patients and has affairs with them. When he inevitably loses interest, he will give the woman over to Beverly, the meeker of the two, without the women knowing the difference. Beverly follows hard for one of the patients, Claire, played by Genevieve Bujolt. But when she inadvertently deceives him, he slips into a state of madness. This is my first time watching this movie, and I freaking loved it. I was, I was, I always knew that Jeremy Irons was a cool dude, but I was so impressed by how awesome he was in this movie. He was captivating. Mm. You guys, did you like this? I. Th- thought it ran a little long to tell you the truth that that, that's just me i didn't dislike the movie but i thought it was i thought it just i thought it was almost it felt like it was it was drug i thought it drug out a little bit maybe i guess it was it was close to two hours yeah yeah it was like almost felt like it was almost 20 minutes too long it's like uh but you I, I knew that at some point, you know, even if it was a little bit uh, of a tamer um, Cronenberg film, we, we were going to get some of that body horror in it, in there. And when they oh, showed fuck. the body horror, it was fucking gnarly. I think because uh, it was so light throughout the movie that those moments that were there, they were even more fucked up, you know? Yeah, they, they had a stronger impact. More I off-putting, think. yeah, for sure. Yeah, um... Yeah, man. Uh, they they really they really took the the twin aspect like a whole another uh, you know especially psychologically. I think yeah, uh, they took that to like a whole a whole another level, and uh, it was it, this is the first time that I have seen it, um, and it's is uh, it, it it was. You know it's you know it's a Cronenberg film. You know it's 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 just when you see something that he he does. You know, I mean, the only thing that really stands apart from everything that he's always, ever really done is like, from far as I can tell, is like a history of violence. You know, even though that's yeah. like uber violent. But like the the real body gross out shit that he does, you know, you can really tell that it's a it's a it's a Cronenberg film, and uh, this would probably be the tamer of the bunch. This is more, this is more like thought provoking to me. Yeah, did you guys did you guys get that vibe? Yeah, I, th- yeah, I sure. think so too. Was this this is the first watch for me, Andy, Jason? What about you, Mike? Have you seen this before? I assume. This was a first time watch for me too. Wow. So yeah, oh, first for all wow. of us. Ugh. I know. I know. When we got to the end, Mike was like, "Was this a horror movie?" More of like a a psychological. Don't say, it. Don't say, it. <laughs> Don't say the th word. Mindfuck. There you yeah. go. <laughs> I think it has the well. I I asked that to provoke conversation. I think there's elements there. Obviously, you get a little bit of the body horror stuff. Of course. And when it is, it's strong and effective. Um, 
I feel like it. I feel like it feels to me more like a drama that is shot like a horror film. Yeah, like the score really yep. emphasizes horror for me. Um, you know, some of the the choice of 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 everything on the production felt a little bit more like eighties horror to me. Like mm. like why they feel the need to dress in like red, red nun outfits what? when they're doing operations feels like it's there only for the fact that it's supposed to be a horror movie. You know what I mean? Yep. But like the that, story, is, that is a horror movie choice to have those weirdo yeah. surgical outfits. But yeah, yeah the like, story is mostly like, drama. It's mostly a yeah, drama. like somebody from Hammer was making it with like those red outfits. You know, it's like you know, it's almost like more like scene dressing, and like f- uh, as if um, Kubrick directed it. Yeah, like yeah. art design more so than yeah. practical. Yeah. But yeah. what I what I did like is. Uh, oddly enough, all you had to... You never really see what those fucked up tools that he made, or had made for that matter, you never seen what they what they did. All you had to do was look <laughs> at them and how fucking gnarly they were, and that was really... For me, that's all you really needed. All, all, your, your mind made the rest of that shit up, you know, because you know his, you know his profession, you know his trade, and then you... You know he's losing you, his mind at the moment. Yes, and you know he's got these just these demonic looking instruments, you know, that, you know, he even tells you what they're for. They're they're to work on mutant vaginas. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like even that mantle retractor that they had in the beginning, which is actually a legit surgical tool for them, just looked absolutely horrifying to me. Yeah. And then they come up with like this I don't know, like this skeletal finger. <laughs> I, I don't even know what the fuck that was. It's like a scorpion tail. Yeah. And you like I said, didn't even need to see him work. To me, that was the most. To me, that was the most signature Cronenberg thing out of the whole movie. Even more so than, like the dream sequence when they're when they're attached together. Yeah. <laughs> um, the surgical instruments totally screamed Cronenberg to me. If they were if they were painted flesh color, it would have seemed like it was a hundred percent Cronenberg because those yeah. things felt like they came out of something like Videodrome or. Um, um, or H.R. Geiger. Well, yeah, yeah, they do. They did kind of uh, emulate H.R. Geiger a lot, but yeah, those those instruments alone provided enough horror elements. Even though we only ever really see the scorpion tail tool in action, and even though you, you still don't really see anything, just a little bit of blood at the blood. end of the stinger, but. Yeah, I mean, those really, yeah. You know, it's you just kind of it's hard to describe this movie for me. I mean, I think you just really have to just sit down and watch it. Yeah, it's it's something that's been on my radar forever and it sort of it has a it has a good following. It's a cult classic. I've, there's been, you know, vinyl releases and uh, Mondo's done posters mm. and it's been on my radar forever and it's just one of those things um where unless you know, Mike picks it for the podcast, or I'm in a Cronenberg <laughs> mood. 
it's not something that nobody ever just pops in dead ringers you know you don't you don't yeah. pop in a cronenberg movie unless it's the fly yep. you don't pop in any david lynch movie it's just yep. sort of a thing you know you, you, you just sort of yeah right you don't you don't you know you have to be in the right mood or you have to be showing it to someone um or it's just it's not a feel-good fucking movie at all um and you know, I wasn't disappointed by any means. It just didn't. Uh, I I prefer Cronenberg's other work more over this. It was really good though. Like yeah. you said, the performances were fucking great. Uh, the story's very unique and kept me captivated. I just feel like if I'm going to watch a Cronenberg movie, it's not going to be this one. As a I love I love how you. I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, I love how you said you have to be in a Cronenberg movie, mood, and I and I like Cronenberg movies, and I love David Lynch movies. Tad and I are Lynch, are Lynch guys, you know. But how how off do we need to be to be in a, like a Cronenberg mood? You know, it's like or or a Lynch mood. It's usually involves uh, those times when I'm actually growing a vagina out of my side or something. Yeah. Yep. those are when I'm in the Cronenberg mood. When I'm bleeding from my eyes or something like that, it's like, oh, I feel rather Cronenberg right now. Well, I, I do get moods like um, I would say the the newer re, you know um, season, the revival of Twin Peaks sort of brought me back into uh, going back and revisiting some of the Lynch films that I hadn't seen in a few years, and wanted, you know made made me sort of fall in love with him all over again. And, uh, you know, watching Dead Ringers, I'm probably more uh, likely to go back and throw in some Videodrome, you know, and, and see, watch some other stuff, Rabbit, and, you know, just watch some stuff that I wasn't necessarily thinking of, you know, before. Yeah, for me, I the, the new Cabal Cut of Nightbreed got mm. me pumped back into the Cronenberg vibes. So, I don't know, I was, I was excited to watch this one. And As a filmmaker, I really enjoyed watching the twin action. Cause it was, yeah, that stuff was pretty flawless. It was pretty fucking good. You know, just trying to figure out how they did those magic tricks. Maybe he actually does have a twin. Maybe. Uh-huh. You know, when you finish watching that movie, you, you kind of think maybe he does. Like, you know, a lot, not a lot of people realize that Linda Hamilton had a twin until after uh, Terminator 2. Um, yeah, and, I... and to go back to his performance, too, like, you know, not only was the, the technical aspect of the twins thing, but major kudos to his performances. Not only does he have to play twins, and I'm all, when in situations like that, I'm always looking for physical quirks. Uh-huh. Uh, between the tell the difference between the two, and other than you know uh, uh, the the most obvious piece being the one where glasses, the other one didn't. But uh, you know, there's there's because there's moments in the movie where he's the one twin pretending is pretending to be, the, to other. be the other twin. Oh, yet you still he still has to have something in the performance that tells the audience like we know I am one. the other twin, but I'm pretending to be the oh, other twin. So, there's so, so cool. many layers, yeah. man. Because they both go down the rabbit hole of drugs and 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 just becoming, you know. Yeah. Mad. So then they also have to portray that aspect too of going of losing their sanity. I just want to say, and I was wow. so impressed, so freaking yeah, impressed. Yeah, you have to have. Irons. You have you have two you have literally two different. Even though they're twins, you have two different ca- characters 
with two very different personalities, and they are going to descend very different, you know, down, like you said, in, you know, into, you know, drug addiction. And it's just, it's an, it's, it's really, you're, you guys are right. It's a very good performance, you know, and it's just like, I, I also really liked how, you know, when you first see the, their apartment that they're living in, it is just, it is spotless, you know, because, you know, they're doctors and they're very, you know, sanitary and, and whatnot. And just as they, you know, descend into drug addiction and madness, you know, you can tell like the apartment what they're feeling. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's they're, they're, they're living in squalor and that's just basically what they're like, you know, in their minds as well. You know, it's, uh, and they're like living off of orange soda and, uh, <laughs> cake and, <laughs> and pills, <laughs> but no ice cream. It, damn it. Yeah, he like uh, yeah, it's just like he turns into like a child with that like uh you know, you, you see like this the strong-willed, you know, braggadocious guy in the beginning. And when he says that there's no ice cream, he like literally turns into a kid that, you know, cannot have his sweets. He's just like I want an ice cream. But think about this too. <laughs> think about the beginning scene when they were kids. They weren't normal kids. No, you can't picture them in the in that opening scene being kids of having a temper tantrum about not having ice cream. So it's interesting also that the fact that they've regressed past past their own um, adolescence. Yeah. Wow! Yeah, I guess I never thought about that. Yeah, it's interesting film, man. But then again, I mean that's that's Cronenberg, dude. That's he's doing something special. Yeah. 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 Well, and I I also picked up on like you know, I was talking to Jason about it and you know and I was being crass and jokey and I think he took what? me a little too seriously at first but like the parallels between this and the fly where it's both like genius guys who are kind of recluse and don't really know how to interact for the most part with humanity then fall in love with a woman and don't know how to handle it and both make the same mistakes based on the idea of that that significant other cheating on them which the significant other doesn't really cheat on them they just don't know how to handle a relationship with another with a with a another human being let alone of the female persuasion and if you think about it i mean that was in both those movies that was their um that was their fall from grace is is not being able to handle their uh their love life Oddly, oddly enough, these characters, they like the the fly, uh, the Jeff Goldblum character and these and these Jeremy Irons characters. They're so into saving humanity, but yet they're so introverted. They know absolutely nothing about it at all. It's weird. They have no understanding about like true human interaction, but yet they 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 seem convinced that they know how to nurture it and save it, but they don't know the most basic common you know uh, its core at all. Yeah, with in this movie, when you're dealing with the twins, one of them has grown up to be able to understand and deal with human beings, like when they were kids. They just walked up to the neighbor girl and talked about having sex with the, with her as a, as a scientific experiment, 
and both of them are very robotic-like and stuff. But when they're adults, the one the one actually knows how to deal with people and you know knows how to pick up women and so much so that like he pretends he to be his brother so his brother can have sex with her later, you know that kind of stuff. It, it's it, it's interesting like how the two brothers grew grew different in that regard. And you didn't experience something until I know about it. And just their relationship. That whole thing, too. Yeah. It's really neat. Is this a whole, like, what's that, id and superego kind of thing? Maybe. If I knew what that meant? No, you did good. Okay. So that's Dead it's Ringers. A good one. It's good. Dead yeah. Ringers. Yeah. It's I good. It. Yeah. It, I've never really, you know, again, like, it always seemed like it's it's been... I don't think I would have liked this if I would have saw it back in the day, though. Right, because it's, it's not like he was trying to make a mainstream movie, but, yeah, like you all have said, it's it's not the most crazy, awesome, outlandish, high-impact one, but yeah, oh, there's still a lot going on here. Yeah, so I'm glad I waited to watch this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good I call. agree. I concur, as doctors say. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Andy, what's our next film we're going to talk about? Our next film that we are talking about is by Mr. Baby Hitchcock, uh, Brian De Palma. Woo! And, yeah, one of my favorites. Um, I believe this is his very first feature. No. Nope. Uh, it's not? No, nope. sorry. What did he make before this? Oh, there was at least three. There's one called Hi Mom. Really? Yeah, there's a movie called Hi Mom. There's one called Greetings, and there's one called Where'd the Rabbit Come From? Something like that. It's got a weirdo title, like that, with the word well, rabbit. Well, in this it. is the one that this is the one that matters. Um, well, kinda. I mean, those movies are really different from the rest of De Palma's work for sure. And it was, I think, like Hi Mom and Greetings are like. Both of them are like, um, you know, political statements against the Vietnam War, but they're also supposed to be comedies. And so, yeah, just totally, they're different than what you would expect from uh, De Palma. Well, anyway, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, no, no worries. Okay, S sisters. Sisters. They were once one in body, and perhaps one in mind. Danielle and Dominique, one loving, one hating. One innocent, the other... Where does Danielle end and Dominique begin? What the devil hath joined together, let no man cut asunder. Uh, Brian De Palma feature. We've got Margot Kidder. You may know her as Lois Lane from Superman and Mrs. Lutz from Amityville. But she stars as Daniel Brenton, Brenton, a young model who hooks up with Philip Wood, played by, I hope I'm saying this right, Lizelle or Leslie. I don't think it's Leslie, but whatever, Wilson. 
after meeting him on the game show Peeping Tom, which personally <laughs> I think is a, a tip of the cap to the early British slasher of the same name. I could see that. Uh, aside from... Uh, and they, they hook up after the game show, go out on a date, and aside from being followed by Danielle's supposed ex-husband email, the two have a nice evening in her Staten Island apartment. The next day, Danielle's neighbor from across the street, Grace Collier, witnesses Philip being slaughtered by an unknown assailant in Danielle's kitchen, which is very rear window, by the way. Um, Grace, being a local reporter, uh, calls the police and investigates immediately. Frustrated by the police's lack of cooperation, she hires a private detective and attempts to solve the crime. First and foremost, I freaking loved this movie. I absolutely thought it was awesome. Um, like I said, uh, personally, first and foremost, I gotta say that Brian De Palma has very good taste in women, because back in the day, Margot Kit women like Margot Kidder and Nancy Allen, whom he married anyway, uh, were, were stunning. Oh and, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm in love with uh, Nancy Allen. Uh, Oh, let's see. Um, they go. I should we uh, tell tell what happens? Well, for, first and foremost, uh, even though the uh, the gore is is dated, by the way, just the the color of the blood, but the murder scene, wow! For 1972, I I was I was impressed, guys. I mean, what what did you think about you know what happened to poor old Philip, man? Especially after he went to all that trouble to get her a freaking cake. I mean, he was like a really sweet guy. He was. That shot to the mouth was pretty. That's gruesome. the one yeah. that got me. Was the 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 stabbed him right in the fucking mouth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it w was this uh, first? I, I I know Tad said he owned this film, but uh, was this a first watch for you guys? First for me. Yeah, first for me as well. I've that's one of the reasons why it was on this list. Like, finally need to see freaking sisters. And I got to yeah. say, real out, you know, um, real quick too, that since then I've gone through Brian De Palma's filmography, and there's as much as I say I'm a Brian De Palma fan, I've sadly seen maybe a tenth of his entire filmography. Yeah, it's, it's pretty pathetic. So Shaking you know what I'm doing. Well, I mean, a lot of I mean, a lot of people. Uh, this is not his most famous film, of course. You know, everybody. Well, I don't want to speak for everybody, but but a lot of people have, of course, have seen you know Carrie and uh, Scarface and The Untouchables. But uh, this one is this one's pretty high up there for me. Um, uh, the 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 one thing that I had a hard time not laughing is that very close up shot uh, during when uh, I guess emails trying to brainwash Grace into telling uh, the police that there was no murder and all this and that uh, because it instantaneously reminded me of Ace Ventura Pet Detective when he's in that pool and he's like trying to find you know the the diamond I'm that's I couldn't help but kind of start laughing because it's like that, you know, that what, what do they call that the fish eye lens or something? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, 
what what did you guys uh, think? Oh, I did want to say a lot of the split screen stuff with you know of Danielle waking up and Grace leaving the apartment. The split the the split screen of um, you're looking at Margot Kidder and the cops questioning her at the same time. I thought that was really cool. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, those effective moments. Yeah, obviously I like this one. I've uh, owned the old Criterion DVD for years now and oh, seen nice. it sev- several times. Uh, I think this was... I'm trying to think of even why or how it was on my radar. It's probably on you know some kind of list that I saw. It was like <laughs> must-see underground <laughs> stuff. And uh, I got it as like a gift for Christmas one year or something. And uh, it blew me away the first time I saw it. Uh because at the time, I think that I got it, I was I was well into my horror obsession, but I was trying to dig deeper, and it was probably about the same time I started getting into the sort of uh, second level of that horror stuff, where you find the Italian stuff and some of the Hammer stuff. You know, where you're you're you've seen all the Friday the Thirteenth, you've seen all the staples, and you want to go a little bit deeper. And I would say this is on like the second level, because like you said, Carrie you know, is his uh, most famous horror, straight horror film that everybody's sort of seen. And then, um, to, but I, I've always loved this one since I saw it. It blew me away. And I'm surprised that you guys haven't seen it just because, you know, I've, I rarely, rarely do we uh, get to a movie on this podcast that I've seen that especially I know. hasn't seen. So mark yeah. that down. Yeah. Yeah, so was, honestly, I'm I, kind of embarrassed I haven't seen this before. But I'm glad I, that uh, you know I got to bust out my Criterion disc again, and uh, now I sort of want to upgrade because I assume they have a Blu-ray of it. But um, there's some really cool features on the disc, and uh, watching the movie again, of course, like I just leave the disc out, and I'm just gonna have to go back through and watch the special features now again, and yep. sort of dig through that. But I, I think this was actually. You know, I don't even remember if I realized when I first saw it that it was a Brian De Palma film, and then like I saw the split screens and instantly it was like, oh yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is a De Palma film. Uh, but damn, like like you're saying with Margot Kidder, I mean, who you know, I'm I was born in '85, but I still see her in these movies, and you know, it's like man, she's gorgeous. Absolutely. Oh yeah. And, and really good performances. And how about the score from uh, Bernard Herrmann? Bernard Herrmann. Yes. Yes. I was just going to mention that. Yeah. And, oh, just everything about it. Like, you know, they don't make movies like this anymore. I know that's such an old, like a cliche to say, but they simply, you know, it's like an adult, sort of gritty, grimy, I don't know, just, but very well acted, well directed. Uh, there's not many flaws to it. And, you you have that feeling like it, it sort of got you know really gets crazy towards the end when you get some of that black and white footage mm, and yeah. uh, and you sort of it, it does the classic like are you is she going is she actually going crazy or you know did she actually see this it sort of a little bit tries to uh, steer you that way but you know it's so this kind of story is always the most frustrating but that's it gets the most emotion out of me when you know that somebody's right and like when she goes to the to the mental hospital and you know you think oh she's got him now she's got him now she's calling on the phone 
he comes in and he fucking gets her back again and is like, you know, oh, she's a patient of mine. She she's new today, and of course they're gonna believe him. Ugh. You know, and yeah. it's yeah. like, oh god, damn it! You get so mad every time because yeah. you know, you know they're so close, and that that detective's such a dickhead, and he doesn't believe a word she's saying. And he goes in there with the idea that, you know, they're not going to find anything. So, of course, he doesn't find anything. And there's you see the blood, blood on the back of the couch. And you're like, it's right there. The evidence is right there. You know, and <laughs> goddamn, Like, those little, it's like, you want to yell at the screen. You know, it's very effective in that way. It's, it's, a, it's, such, a, it's such a simple but yet engaging. And I think it makes that, you know, it, to me, it makes it easier to watch. You know, there's there's not a lot of fat on this. You, it, does that make sense? Well, yeah, and and you saying that you know he's baby Hitchcock, like this is like a sort of more uh, you know blood laden, uh, a little yeah. more grimy version of a Hitchcock movie, and it, you can see his uh, yeah, and it's it's cool because it's like you know it sort of takes us back to earlier we're talking about Tarantino and you know his. If you know the history of uh, cinema, you see clearly all of his influences in every one of his movies, whether you feel like he stole it or he's borrowing or is an homage. You see a lot of, uh, all the way down to Bernard Herrmann, you know, he, he straight up used the, like, Hitchcock's, you know, uh, music guy. He used, yeah. you know, his composer in this. That's and the go-to, go man. Yeah, so, you know, and it's not its not a bad thing at all. It's sort of like... No, no. What you, what he took the good stuff that you love out of Hitchcock, but put it at the time into a modern movie. You know, now we sort of look back, and, and it's definitely not modern now, but it's, its you know, for the time... It's like a, as if Hitchcock was, you know, directed a movie in yeah. the 70s, you know, and had... I don't know, a little less restrictions. I don't know. It's cool. I love yeah. it. De Palma, you know, to me, he always kind of, he kind of ups the ante on what, you know, Hitchcock did because a typical Hitchcock trope to me would be a guy falls for the wrong girl and he gets mixed up in a whirlwind of bullshit, right? You know, just like it happened in Psycho, North by Northwest, you know, you name it. But in this case, I mean, the guy, you know, his bullshit is, well, death. Yeah, he gets murdered right away. <laughs> I mean, he's the Janet Lee. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah, that's a good point. Story. Yeah. Well, I've got my Brian De Palma checklist here. Um, this movie checks all the Brian De Palma um, boxes. Voyeurism, check. False opening, check. Nods to Hitchcock, check, 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 check. <laughs> uh, even down to Bernard Herrmann doing the score. But and then I think you make that connection to Psycho too is 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 a, is a very good too because we spent a lot of guy a lot of time with that guy in the beginning of the movie yeah. for him to uh, to be killed. Yeah. Um. So much so that I you know when you first when we first meet the guy he's like oh he's gonna be the first victim and then you know you know fifteen minutes into the movie and I'm like oh I guess this movie's going in a different direction. I'm like, oh, oh, no, no, they killed him. Okay. Um, let's see. Split screen, check. Long ass takes, check. Yeah, so say long tracking shots. Like that, that shot following the murder in the apartment. It's like a six minute tracking shot. Yeah, I'd love it. See, and that's the thing. Okay, so I joke about uh, Brian De Palma tropes here. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of critics out there that, like, feel like 
you know, he just repeats himself a lot. But he does these things, but I love them, and I love them in all of his movies, and I feel like they're effective in all of his movies, you know? So what if he does a split screen in, in almost all of his movies? The when he does it, it's effective. It's, it's not there never just going because he likes to do a split screen. They're there to enhance the story or create some tension, especially creating tension. And this one alone, the whole time, I'm just like, get that blood cleaned up off the floor. Hurry up. They're coming. The cops are coming up the stairs. You know, that kind when of stuff. When he fell so. on his face. Yes. <laughs> which, which was odd, but then, like, it pays. You know, what's cool, too, is, like, there's. And it, this happens a lot in De Palma stuff too. There's like a lot of things that De Palma will show you that pays off or has consequences later on, because because he shows us even though it's a it's kind of funny and a little awkward and out of place where William Finley slips on the floor and and smashes his head. Um, that's a setup for when she comes out of the kitchen with the cake and slips and drops the cake on the here one piece of evidence. That uh, she has yeah. a sister and she's lying about it. She drops on the cop's foot, and uh, and it's because well, well, yeah, it makes sense. This floor is slick, you know. Uh, William Finley showed us that, so you know, it's it's stuff like that, you know. And the fact that we spend all this time going into the cake shop with the guy, and and showing us writing it on the cake and everything that all pays off too when she goes into the cake when she recognizes the name of the cake shop goes in there and 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 uh interviews the lady that made the cake so yeah i know i so i love I, I love his split screen stuff i love his long ass takes you know obviously carrie is still one of the best long ass takes in brian de palma filmography of just that giant tracking shot from the back of the from the back of the gymnasium to the bucket of pig's blood. It's freaking awesome and beautiful. Um, so, yeah, I really love this movie. And um, I think the 70s De Palma must obviously be my favorite. Because as I was counting the movies that I've seen at De Palma, it's like, seen it, seen it, seen it, seen it, seen it. Haven't seen it, haven't seen it, haven't seen it. <laughs> as this filmography went on, the less I had seen. So... Obviously, more of the '70s and early '80s De Palma fan, I guess. But you know, William Finley, who I love, he played the Phantom in Phantom of the Paradise. Um, and he's just got such a creepy look with them bug ass eyes of his that hmm. uh, I thought, you know, I thought he was awesome in this with that slick back hair and the the weirdo mustache. It was so good. So yeah, I love this movie a lot. That was great. Jason. Me too. I liked it a lot. It was my first time. Um, it was it was a fun little mystery. My only thing is, I well, I uh, her accent. So like, most of the time it was super cute, but then sometimes it sounded bad to me. So yeah. that was my only complaint. Mm -hmm. If I had a complaint, which isn't really a big deal, because most of the time. I was like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> but Oh, we got a little nip slip from from her in that movie too, didn't we? She, yeah, she was great. Everybody was pretty awesome. Charles Durning and uh, Oh yeah, I forgot, was forgot awesome. to talk about him, yeah. Yep. He's still up on that Our, light pole. Yeah, he's right still now. there yeah. watching <laughs> the watching that sofa. 
Um, with that said, too, with his character in particular, like, I didn't realize the movie was going to be as funny as it was. What's cool is that the humor came uh, came out of characters. Like, yeah. a lot of the interaction with her mom, so some of that stuff was funny. The interaction with Charles um, Dernan was funny. Had some funny moments, so... Yeah, it was definitely more comedy than I expected from it as well. Speaking of comedy, has anybody ever seen another one of my favorite De Palma movies, uh, Wise Guys? No. No. Dude, you, got, you guys got to see this movie. It's Danny DeVito and Joe Pesci. Not Joe Pesci, sorry. Let me start again. Danny oh, DeVito. you got me stoked for it. Sorry, Danny DeVito. Even better, Joe Piscopo. <laughs> And they play yeah. these two these two idiots that kind of work for this mob boss, but they get all the bullshit jobs because well they're kind of idiots, and um, they end up ha- they they're in charge of going to the racetrack and betting on the certain horse for the mob boss, but Danny DeVito's kind of got a little bit of a gambling problem, so he ends up putting it on a different horse because it was the sure win. And and uh, the odds were completely against the the horse that the mob boss wanted to bet on, thinking that they were going to they were going to win and the boss was going to lose and then they were going to keep the money and not be any and the mob boss wouldn't be any the wiser. Well, it turns out the mob boss's horse ends up winning, so obviously they're scared, they're terrified, you know that the that they're going to have a hit put out on them, and so what does the mob boss do is that. He hires the other... These guys are best friends, too. They hire the other guy to put the hit out on each other. So Danny DeVito has to kill Joe Piscopo, and Joe Piscopo has to kill Danny DeVito. And it's a great little mob comedy. It, it's, it, it, um, it's got Harvey Keitel is in it. It's got um, Captain Lou is in it. And Captain Lou from, from the old WWE days... Captain Lou Albano. Yeah, Albano. He steals this movie. Anytime he's on screen, it's freaking awesome. But uh uh I love it. It's it's such a weirdo movie to have in Brian De Palma's resume, but uh I I would highly recommend checking it out. Fine, I will. Do it. Sisters. <laughs> yes, sisters. R.I.P. Margo. Yeah. So glad I finally got around to seeing it. Okay, so that that leaves us with our uh, last movie. Uh, Tad, what's the last movie we're going to talk about tonight? I'm so excited for this one. We're going to go into 1987's The Lost Boys. Michael and Sam have just moved to Santa Carla, California. They're about to discover its secret. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. So where are you? The flying nun! I'm your brother, Sammy! Help me! Stay back! Stay back! What's happening to me, Star? Get yourself a good, sharp stick. 
probably don't even have to say what this movie's about because i imagine if you're listening to this podcast you've seen it a dozen times uh, i really did not expect this one to get on the list because i imagine that you guys have done it 12 times before i was ever on the podcast <laughs> um but i feel like mike threw me a bone because i could do a whole episode on this one uh this is easily probably top 10 movie of all time for me if not uh-huh. top five. Oh, cool i, wow. I truly like I, it's one of those weird ones where when I watch it again, instead of uh, getting like tired of it, I love it more every time I watch it, which is very rare. Um, I just this movie is one of those like I don't know what it is. It it uh, is like a shot in my arm when I watch it. It uh, has every. It's it's like eating the best food, or um, you know, it's it's uh, nostalgia built in with uh, fun. Every single scene is just uh, balls to the wall fun. And so, if you haven't seen The Lost Boys, it's about a it has it has a couple siblings in it, um, but it's about uh, two siblings who move with their single mom to what's called Santa Clara, um, California, and they move there to sort of start new, and when they get there, they move in with their grandpa, who's a very um, eccentric, funny guy. He's one of the best characters in the movie. Um, Has Jason Patrick, who has just... He's just fantastic in this. Uh, They have just a remarkable young cast. All things considered, it's hard to find a young actors that are good and uh when Corey feldman's probably your worst one you know it's pretty damn good uh i don't know what you guys think of it but jason patrick i think is fantastic diane weist is awesome in this yeah Uh, directed by joel schumacher uh man this one like if i feel like if you had you know in history like in a hundred years they're like you know you have one one movie to show us from the eighties that sh- tells us what the eighties is about. I feel like you could show this one. Uh, <laughs> you have a vampire wearing like one dangly earring with spiked up hair, like a little mullet. <laughs> uh, you know, they're all wearing the sunglasses. I mean, just look in the bedroom, you know, he has like the most ridiculous posters on the walls. There's yes. uh, Rob, Rob Lowe half naked. Yes. Rob Lowe. Um, Reform school, reform school girls one sheet that he has with uh, Wendy O. Williams on it. Yeah, and and because I've seen this so many times, I I didn't even get to finish what I was talking about. Anyways, they moved to this town to get away, <laughs> start a new life. I just get so distracted, like I don't know where else even to go with this one because I love it so much. But they moved to this town. Um, the older brother, who's played by Jason Patrick, gets mixed up with some guys because he's going after a girl, of course, and. To impress her, he tries to keep up with a group of uh, older boys who are on motorcycles that are really badass and have cool leather jackets and cool earrings and uh, cool motorcycles. 
And he keeps going further and further until he accidentally turns himself into a vampire. Um, and we have the Frog Brothers in this movie, which it, it's sort of crazy, like, how many people are in this. You know, we have the two Corys, Haim and Feldman, um, but they're not the siblings in this, this one. We have uh, the Frog Brothers, who are two teenagers for some reason that own a comic book shop uh, on the boardwalk, and they seem to be in the know that there's vampires in this town, and they try to warn Haim's character about it, and he doesn't take him seriously, and he wears this like long-ass uh, Indian fucking ugly jacket that's awesome. Um yeah, the what they dressed is, Haim in this man is just atrocious. Oh, and that's why I love it, dude. Like, like who? Someone at you know at the time this came out, that was like, this is fucking awesome. That's, yeah, that's very trendy. Yeah, but I mean, I could the 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 Lost Boys themselves, they looked kind of cool. You know, they, I think they still look kind of cool. I mean, because they basically, I mean, they looked. They're like punk rockers. Well, know? yeah, they were they were a hair band, you know, that we just happened to be, you know, bikers. Um, but I, I'm with I'm really am with Tad this one. If there is really visual comfort food, this movie is it. And I just just guys like the '80s in general. What a time to be a horror fan. What what a time. Yes, it was. It, it's crazy yeah. to think that this one got made. I mean, it's like. Uh, you know, it's like a mixture, the perfect mixture of Goonies, um, you know, Fright Night. It has, like, that's why I think I like it, is that when I watched it younger, I sort of related to the younger characters, and then you get older, and it's like, oh, you know, you relate more to the older brother, and it's just, oh, man, like, it's a time capsule. This movie's, you know, a time capsule of the 80s, and the music's Vid- kick-ass. Video uh, stores. Yeah, yeah. And you know it's it's also has so many hilarious moments and also some scary moments. Uh, I watched this for you know I've seen this a million times, so I thought this time I'm going to watch it with the uh, commentary by Joel Schumacher, and I learned a lot about it. That was a lot of fun. I'm not going to like repeat the entire uh, commentary with a bunch of crazy facts, but it was just Aww. fascinating Aww. to hear his his uh, him talking about little scenes that you know like why they did certain things or how things came about. And it's really cool. Cause he was sort of, I, I, I'm the commentary is pretty old because Haim was alive. It's on the Blu-ray, but you know, oh. he, he still talks about everybody as if everybody's alive. And you know, he, he's, it, it's interesting. Like, uh, I don't know, just, just the background stories about how he sort of was, at the time, a nobody, and you know, Dick Donner took a chance and and brought him in, and to see like Schumacher's resume now is you know crazy the stuff he's done. I mean, he did Batman and Robin, so he's sort of in the shit list. But um, <laughs> with me especially, yeah, yeah. I mean, he never to me he never you know hit this high again. Uh, he's had some decent stuff and some fantastic you know some um, successful stuff, but nothing has ever to me nothing will top this one for him but uh not not his first movie but you know his sort of he did st elmo's fire before this and the incredible shrinking woman and some other stuff but this was like a if at the time he talked about it on the commentary about how it was very risky and how the original script was written as a kid's movie and 
then they brought in a like a third screenwriter to sort of make it more adult oriented and i'm so glad they did because he said it was really good when it was a kid's movie but it was very it was a lot of fluff and, and you know it just was not it didn't have the bite to it um pardon <laughs> nice <laughs> but <laughs> just some cool little stories about you know the they couldn't the, like at the end when they go to the church and they're getting the holy water for the final battle uh they had to build that on the the back lot because they asked about a dozen churches and they're like absolutely no like we're not letting you film in our church for a vampire movie um, oh jeez he talked about uh you know they had to really talk several they had to talk Jason Patrick him uh, Schumacher and his manager and Jason Patrick's manager really had to talk him into this movie because he thought it was an exploitation movie. He's like, I'm not doing a vampire movie. And they're like, sit down and read the screenplay. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's, you know, really cool. And he's like, I don't, I want to be taken as a serious actor. And they're like, you know, look at the, some of the names in this. But at the time, you know, these names weren't, it's almost like Feldman and Haim were the two names that were almost the most established <laughs> at the time. It's crazy yeah. to think. You know, Diane Weist, uh, I guess the year before they this, she had was either nominated or won an Oscar. And uh, they thought it was a shot in the dark to get her in this. And they shot it to her, and she's like, this sounds like fun. I can imagine she's like the nicest human alive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's like, I, I never get to do fun stuff like this. Let's do it, you know. And uh, just, uh, he said that uh, Jamie Gertz, who plays Star in the movie, she's so gorgeous. Uh, they were going. The studio was going for like a a skinny, typical blonde that you would think from the '80s. And Jason Patrick was good friends with her, and he's like, you know, I know her from like the Chicago scene. Like, we have to get her. We have to get her. And he basically almost like put it on the line. Like, I'll only do it if she gets in. And Schumacher was like, Yeah, he had a huge crush on her, so he was basically <laughs> like, I want to kiss her yeah. on screen, so you better get her in this movie. <laughs> and so they. Uh, they did, and so it's cool to hear that, you know, because just think about, like, if it was just another typical blonde in that role, they almost reverse it with, like, the the, the blonde, attractive guy in, you know, yeah. Keith or Sutherland. He's, like, almost a heartthrob, you know, but everybody, almost. of course, is, is very, everybody's very handsome and good-looking yeah. in this movie. Um, but, yeah. like you said, the visual candy, just every scene's a blast. It's so ridiculous. Uh over the top, you know, great music, great fun. Uh, Tim Capello, fucking <laughs> sweaty with huge muscles, playing a saxophone. He said that in the commentary that he was um, doing push-ups and lifting dumbbells between takes because he wanted to keep the sweat going. And he wanted his mus his uh, veins to be popping. Yeah, basically, he wanted his veins popping in every take. It's just funny, like so fucking eighties, even behind the scenes, you know. <laughs> I'll you know, you, you talk. You talk about man, a, a Criterion release. This thing needs it. I mean, Arrow or somebody get the yeah. rights, put something out other than you know. I mean, the commentary is nice. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, give us something with some more bells and whistles because I think this deserves, really deserves the treatment for it. I mean, yeah, this was before Alex Winter did Bill and Ted even. Uh, I was waiting for you to mention Alex right. Winter, my favorite actor from the movie. Yeah, and it's, it's like you know he he's such a you know not a small character, but for you know what he became in the '80s, one of the big two headliners in Bill and Ted. Yeah, uh, 
you know, it's it, just little things in the back. Everybody sort of went on to do such big things. Um, well, I don't. Cause, well, I don't even think Alex Winter had a line unless I think maybe he said Michael. But then again, everybody, everybody in the said, movie says Michael at least yeah. once or, or twice. Michael, Michael, <laughs> or bottoms up, didn't he? Or was that the other blonde guy, other blonde vampire? I think it was the other blonde. I, because even back then, I was like a fan of uh, Alex Winter. So, like, I, I just w- w- watching that's my was my only uh, dislike of the movie was I wanted wanted more Alex Winter in the movie, but. Speaking of uh, lines, my favorite line, my own brother, a goddamn shit-sucking vampire. You wait till mom finds out, buddy. <laughs> yeah, and he talks about that. He talks about that. Uh, he actually points that out, Schumacher does, as like the, the line that sums up the movie in one line because he says, you know, um, it's, very, it's a very, very serious situation, but it's also, I'm telling mom, it's still yep. funny, and you know, it's it's what a kid would actually say. Like, yeah, yeah. if first thought is, oh, I'm going to tell mom, and he's like, that's exactly the vibe we went for in this movie. Was, uh, you know, it's very serious situation made f- almost comical and over the top, and that's why I think I love it so much. You know, it's so oh man, like I, I probably have the absolute worst <laughs> introduction to this because I don't know what else to say. I just wanted to it's... like talk about it. <laughs> Well, I, I, what I, another thing that I like, um, there's like when they're when they storm that uh, bonfire party. There's there's there is gore in it, but it's very quickly cut. And the thing is about this movie, the gore that we do see, I mean, I'm almost glad that it's it's not especially you know uber violent because it doesn't have to be. Right. It's just it's the story's told so well cinematically. You just I think it would be, I think the the movie would be worse off if it was more violent. I mean, I just think it's it's just yeah. done really really well this way. I think more more of the violence that you see on screen happens to the vampires than it does to any yeah. of the victims. Yeah. That garlic bath. I mean, this mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I love that kind of stuff too. Like when we finally get to that scene, you know, the battle towards the end, the third act, uh, how like every death is almost accidental. And, you know, Feldman, man, he is as a kid. Can you imagine? He fucking loved filming this. You can tell he was like, Oh yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to get my, my frog brother's voice. And, you know, and he's he's like, so, so, so hamming it up. Yeah. I mean, he is just hamming it up in this one. He is just, having a blast you know and i bet it was so much fun to shoot i just i just imagine the set was just a blast to to be on oddly oddly enough i think the scariest moment for when when i saw it when i was a kid oddly enough the scariest moment for me in this movie is when um cory feldman fires that arrow and he thinks that vampire's dead and it's just dead silence and you just see the you know i i don't know if Corey's either walking up i can't quite remember or the camera is panning in and you just hear the click of his boots and you just hear him get up and i mean just it really spooked me out when i was a kid because it was it was just it was so quiet and you just see him kind of laugh and he gets back up and it was oh shit you know that that's that actually kind of freaked me out a little bit when i was a kid 
Now, I'll tell you the scariest scene in this whole sh movie, and it's the reason I don't eat Chinese food anymore. Because those, <laughs> those weren't noodles. No, those weren't, doodle, those weren't noodles. I'm just kidding. Wait, they're only noodles, Michael. <laughs> I love this movie. It ha it's, I just, I think maybe you said it already, but like, it really has something for everybody. There's, there's four generations of opportunities to attach yourself to someone you know the yeah, kids a good point teenagers the adults and the grandparents and they all mm -hmm. play major parts in this movie and it's so neat it's so cool yep grandpa who saves the day Fucking the grandpa end. rules yes. oh they <laughs> it, yeah they were saying they sort of set it up to make you think the whole time that you know the big reveal would be yep. grandpa is the lead vampire and then yep. they, they pull a switcheroo right at the end so good I'm with all I of you. I love this movie, did you too. Notice, did you guys notice that Grandpa no. was also in Sisters? No. He, no. He was He was the, uh, remember the, when Grace goes to the newspaper, and that guy shows her that uh, newsreel on the, on the twins from Sisters? Yeah. Same actor. Oh. You guys, I, I can't believe you guys didn't pick up on that. Well, he was super fucking old in Sisters, too. What the hell? Yeah, I know. Wow, that's cool. I didn't, that, uh, I planned it that way. No, but I... Uh, I when this movie came... <laughs> when this movie came out... Uh, well, going back to our bonus episode, my one of my sisters taped it off for me from like hbo so i watched that tape over and over and over and over again this is a total comfort food movie yep. i've kind of grown apart from it over the years because you know the the snotty film uh snotty film geek side of me um wanted to like distance myself from it because of the joel schumacher connection but also because like the bitter horror fan in me is like this this movie out this movie um, destroyed near dark, you know. This movie oh, is responsible yeah, for near to, dark. You went to team near dark. Do, yeah. do you hate uh, E. T. because it ruined the thing? Kinda. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, Fair I enough. thought that goes without saying. No, but oh, but yeah. at the end of the day, I still love this movie as much as I did back then. Um, I, I I seriously watched it so much I can re probably recite half Absolutely. of this movie um, oh, yeah. without any problem whatsoever. I, there's a lot of great lines for me, like "Death by Stereo." That's one of my favorites. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, you know, my my only issue really with the movie is the comic book store. Oh. Um, at the of time, course. I was like, "Oh, this is cool," you know, because like back then there wasn't a comic book store everywhere. So seeing a comic book store in a movie was awesome. But then I'm like, they're not, you know, half of those, you know, you, you put those in bags and boards. Come oh, on. Oh when God. those punks oh. steal the handful of comics out of the boxes out front, I'm like, you're crushing this. They're not in bags and boards. Come on. And, and the they're exposed to the elements of uh, the, the salt water in the air. and Exactly. Yeah. It, was, it was soul crushing. And that whole, <laughs> that whole, that whole Corey Haim speech about you don't put the Superman 
800s with the Superman, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, no, because it's not numerical order. It has nothing to do when Lori Lamars was introduced. I don't give a shit about that. You're, like, name-dropping obscure characters just to make it sound like you know what you're talking about with comics. But yeah. you're talking about, like, it's just not in numerical order, so it doesn't fucking matter anyway. But, uh... Nerd. Yep. <laughs> the, uh, the, the Death by Stereo one, and I promise I'm not going to just recite the entire Please do. Uh, commentary... <laughs> but he talks about how when they did like a test screening of it, uh, everybody cheered after the death, so they missed that line. Uh -huh. So they went back and they just had like several angles and uh, different cameras, and they just slowed down all the. Uh, they showed the body of the vampire. He's like, you know, we didn't plan on even showing that much gore, but uh -huh. we had to buy some time, and there's really not much else we can do than just show the vampire pieces of the body so there's these now that i've you know he mentions that you notice these like really slow shots of the body yeah. like falling from the the room and hitting the floor and sort of bouncing and the one of the more more gory scenes in the movie and it was just to buy time so the crowd would quiet down so they could hear the next you know death by stereo line <laughs> and then they got another cheer and he said they had to do that with several of the lines the one-liners in the movie because people would cheer and then miss the 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 joke that they were going for which is a good problem to have, you know, but it's, it's interesting to hear, like, why some of these shots even exist. That's, that's awesome. I love it. That's, that's cool. I actually, and I believe, um, and I'm pretty sure it's because of this, and I'm, I'm not positive, I know that there is a, I believe there's a punk band out there called Death by Stereo. Yeah, that that is being used somewhere. I forget. Maybe it is a band name. Um, and Jason, you're probably the only one on this podcast that would remember back in the time when this movie came out as well. But am I wrong? Was I this obsessed with the movie? Or did it feel like that this movie had a small cultural impact that was such a big success? I think, I think so. I think you could feel it. I mean, because... The movie is very stylistic too. It has a very unique style to the look of it, um, through through the way it was shot, through the costume designs, like we already talked about. Um, and I feel like some of that kind of bled into uh, you know everyday culture back in back in '87 as well. Um, so much so, I kind of feel like maybe there was a some of the Doors revival of that era may be because of this movie. Because sure. there's a lot of Jim Morrison and Doors imagery. Yeah. Um, that Echo and the Bunnymen cover at the beginning. Yeah, and the and the People Are Strange cover by Echo and the Bunnymen. Yeah, yeah and the dirt bike sales really spiked in 87. Well, they, <laughs> they got the oh. uh, keyboard player from the Doors to actually do that cover with Echo and the Bunnymen. Oh, nice. And, uh, because, you know, it was the 80s and you couldn't just put an old song in. You had to make it more 80s. Yeah. And uh, it was interesting because he was like, he said he was very nervous about asking him and he was like, of course, like very honored to do it, and uh, they got what was it in excess to do some of the songs, and they said it was like very. He said it was very uh, weird to ask because it's you know now we all know the huge success of Lost Boys, and it's like well yeah of course everybody wanted a piece of it, but when they made it, it was like you know the, most actors right. were trying to turn it down, and it was very risky, a thing that people really weren't not sure about, and he said that like the bands are really cool about it. He's in basically he's like you know I really will owe you one uh, if you do this for me and he's like and then uh, after this was a huge success he had them 
he had Schumacher direct their music video, like their next two music videos. So they called him on his uh, favor and had him direct their next two music videos. Oh, nice! I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember the keyboard player to the Doors. Um, Ray Manzarek. Ray Manzarek. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, also. He did uh, the keyboard on Weird Al's song Craigslist, which is a Doors stylized parody. FYI for you. <laughs> I got a I got a feeling that you know when you know Trent when you're talking about trends, I have a feeling that the sunglasses that Jason Patrick wore in this movie. I mean, they're heavily. You see them like you know like on the front cover of the poster and everything. I mean, yeah. I think those were very popular back then. Too. My brother had a pair. So, I mean, not that he was all that popular, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I remember seeing that style of sunglasses a lot back then. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, I, I really think a lot of the fat, a lot of fashion from that movie kind of bled into society, um, you know, especially the hairstyles. Uh, Unfortunately. It's just too bad that fortunately we we got two sequels and they're crap direct to video yeah uh, garbage because can you imagine if those didn't exist and they did one now with Kiefer and you know brought back uh, as much of the much of the cast as it's alive like yeah. it would it, it you know with this sort of uh, right now renaissance of bring, doing direct sequels to old movies and a mix of how everybody wants to be 80s right now that would just be fucking gangbusters for us whatever studio put it out you yeah know? and and it's like you said just now though that who said they can't because we are in an age where people are doing direct sequels to the original film and ignoring everything that came before it and those two That's movies true. are easily to be ignored <laughs> although like i did yeah. said I didn't mind the, the third one because it's you know you you know you put cory feldman in anything and i'll watch it so I, I enjoyed the third one because it was just the Frog Brothers story. And the second one was obviously trying to capture the whole Twilight movement, but because uh, it was a it was very it was very teen angsty, you know, drama, vampire drama. But that end scene when Corey Feldman shows up and Corey Haim shows up and now Corey Haim's character is a vampire and the Frog Brother has to kill him. I, I cheered. I thought that was awesome. Because it came out of nowhere. It had nothing to do with the rest of the movie. I think, you no, know, Kiefer wouldn't have a problem doing it because he, he just did uh, the remake to uh, Flatliners, right? Yeah, he was in that. So it's Was like, he in the remake? I have yeah. no idea. Wow. That movie he came doesn't, and he, went so fast, the remake. He, he plays. Uh, he doesn't play the same character. He's, he's like so that. unrecognizable that he's just a different character. Oh, okay. But, um, you know, I definitely think he would be down to do a sequel. Uh, you know, I don't need need him to be... Obviously, you want... Since vampires don't age, but they all died. So it's like, you know, what do you bring him back for? You know, find something for him. But... Yeah. I don't know. You know, I think that someone can figure it out. Make it a prequel. Yeah. How, how, did, how did he become, you know... Well, but then again, you know, Max... You know, even the guy that played Max is dead. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the sad part is this, there's a lot of uh, people that are just not around from this film anymore. But I just want to say, man, like like I, 
these films, you know, like Lost Boys is a classic, and uh, the 80s guys, I mean, I'll put it up against anything from the 90s, 2000s. The only thing that's going to come close to it is, you know, the 70s, and you know, just... The best, the best generation, the best ten years of horror films, hands down, in my opinion. You could say this movie is very eighties, and it is, you know, from the you know, the hairstyles to the clothing to the music. At the same time, it feels a little timeless to me because it also feels like, again, I mentioned how stylized this film is. This 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 world of Santa Clara feels like it's its own universe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That uh, that this is like some you know, and they even kind of try you know try to set that up a little bit. Like this this town is like nothing nothing else you ever seen. It's and its like own the, all world. the all the people at the beginning, you know, the whole people are strange montage uh, were actually just people walking. They just filmed on the boardwalk and then got people signatures. Yeah. Uh, nice. So they're all real, and then they. We're planning on just calling it Santa Cruz, and uh, I guess the city, like whoever, I don't know, the officials, whoever, was like very upset. They're like, we don't want to be known as a murder capital. So they slightly change it, which does nothing. You know, people <laughs> see right through it. People know exactly where you're filming. Yeah. But, uh, well, Jason, yeah, they make Jason. the murder capital of the world look so appealing. I mean, just oh, can, fuck, yeah. can, you, can you imagine, you know? <laughs> You've got a video store, a comic book store. You've got fucking carnival rides and ski ball and shit all night during. And the you can summer. ride your motorcycles wherever the fuck you want. Yeah, at top goddamn speed down the beach, and nobody says shit. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty appealing to me. I want to go to the murder capital of the world. Shit. Me too. <laughs> I want to grow. If I could grow a mullet, I'd be pimping that son of a bitch out right now. <laughs> well, Jason, you've been there. Yeah, that's. Uh, I didn't know if let me tell the story or not, but yeah, I, it was an accident too. It was, I was on tour with the PBJs um, a few years ago, and and we were kind of scooping the loop down around the south, coming up up the west coast, up to uh, Seattle, and then back across. And we just played a few dates in California, and we're like, let's try. And we're working. We got to get to Portland, I think, and up there in Oregon, and. Just somewhere, we're just like, let's, we just randomly decided to take off and try to find a hotel along the way. And, and like, seriously, there was, there was 20 circumstances that could have taken us down this road or that way or this way. And we end up, for some reason, going to Santa Cruz. And it really wasn't necessarily the best route, but we just went that way. And then we just happened to go to this hotel that just for some reason one of us was like hey what's going on tonight and they're like hey there's this thing down at the boardwalk we're like okay we had no idea we didn't think never thought about it and it's nothing we ever did ever was like go out and do stuff necessarily but we got there in time and we're like you know what this one time let's get crazy let's go out and do something and and we're like we make our way to this boardwalk and i'm like this is cool it's very retro it looks you know, like it did back in the day, and I still hadn't clicked yet. No idea, no idea. And I, I mean, I just sent you guys a picture. So when we walked, we walked off of the boardwalk onto the beach, and I'm like, "This is oh, it's beautiful, it's cool." And then I turned around, and the fog had rolled in, and you could see the 
the boardwalk from a distance, and I'm like, holy shit, Nalani. Do you know where we are? And like, it just hit me. I had no idea where I was. You heard, you heard a dirt bike in the distance. I did. I like, you saw I'm like Tim oh, Capello still there. He's still there <laughs> yeah. finishing that Jai solo. Yeah. Oh, my God. And it was, it was fucking it was awesome. Fainy as shit. And then, <laughs> you I, mean, I should have played a gig with him. Uh, should have. <laughs> Our friend uh, with the band. Dustin's playing a gig with him, right? This, he is, yeah. This Friday night. That's yeah, right. What a weird uh-huh. turn of events there. And then, yeah, then we went back to the boardwalk and just like, huh, huh, let's find the comic book store. You know, <laughs> like, oh my God, what's over here? And like, it was so cool. It was so Also um, featured in Jordan Peele's Us this year. Right. Oh, that's right, yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, it was... It was so cool. How just, how cool is it was that so to just random. like have that epiphany moment of oh well fuck I'm at the boardwalk where Lost Boys takes place. Yeah, it was. Did it not was, even realize it till that moment. That's it was cool. insane. It was crap. Just no idea at all. And just yeah, it just overcame me. I'm like oh shit. <laughs> I think I know where we are. And I looked it up really fast. I'm like oh my god. We're- and you were like, I still believe. Exactly. <laughs> we sang it all the way home. As you're watching the sky for vampires. That's right. <laughs> well, cool. Well, that that's the that's the movies we're going to talk about concerning brothers and sisters. Unless there's still more from the commentary you want to talk about, there, Ted. <laughs> yes. No, I'm okay. You guys oh, should just uh, watch, <laughs> watch it, it with the commentary. Yeah. <laughs> I like your version better. I do. I do too. I'd rather listen to you than Jill Schumacher. Oh, I'm so happy this is a top tenner for you. I yeah. didn't know. I didn't know either. But that, I, 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 I'm, so I'm kind of shocked we haven't done, or you guys haven't done a commentary on this one. Somebody hasn't, you know, forked out the dough and said, hey, guys, talk. Yeah, well, we would love to if just somebody went out there, join <laughs> our Patreon and... Speaking of siblings, my sister's a, a Patreon subscriber, but she's not at that level. So she if she actually it. gets this far into it and she's <laughs> listening, you should at least you know bump up your level so you can let us do the Lost Boys because you're a sibling of mine. That's my pitch. That's a, <laughs> That's a good one. Perfect. All right. Any honorable mentions of mo- movies featuring brothers and sisters? Anybody want to throw out? I have one that um, I realized that you and your sister have something in common with, with uh, Mike and Lori. Halloween. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it depends on which timeline, which is a whole That's other podcast. That's true, yeah. Um, the original that, timeline, damn it. Yeah, we had this, uh, actually had a very deep discussion at Perkins at 2 a.m. this uh, Saturday <laughs> night with, I ended up going with Blake and a few people to Perkins in the middle of the night after a drag show, and we got into the discussion of the Halloween timelines. Uh, that's the best place and time for yeah. a deep film discussion. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. So that's my that's my uh, <laughs> honorable mention is always you know Michael and Lori. They're still going at it. Just announced two more back to back sequels. They'll never die. Yep, awesome. Man, I didn't even think to make that connection ever that. I'm a Michael, and I have a sister that's Lori, but most probably mostly because she spells it L O R I. So, mm-hmm. Mike and Lori, because hers is short for Loretta. But would oh. would Lori Myers was Lori Strode? Would she be 
Loretta Would it Street? be a Loretta? Because the spelling is... No. No. I don't think so. No. Lorene? I don't know. Just run Lorena. with it. Okay. Uh, any other honorable mentions? Uh, mine is going to be Rodlick, <laughs> Rodlick, Roderick and <laughs> Madeline it? Usher from The Fall of the House of Usher. Uh, nice. Vincent Price Mary, uh, buries uh, Myrna Fahey alive. Cool, cool. I'm drawing a blank, and I didn't write any down. I, I ran I've been time. peeking at the uh, shout-out, so I've been tainted. I'd just be stealing a lot of theirs, so <laughs> Well, if that's the case, then let's wrap her up, and we'll take a quick break here. When we come back, it it will be time for some segments, so... Hang on tight. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. And knowing's half the battle. Welcome back to the show, and it's time for segments here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. Let's start with our second segment, everybody's second favorite segment, that's second. Uh, Shoutouts. I'm pretty sure they voted, and it's the most favorite. It's time for... Shoutouts! 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 Anyway, just ask what your favorite horror films involving siblings were. And we got some responses on our Facebook page. We got our pal Don and Nellie. He says, I'm going off the rails and say Spirits of the Dead, where Peter and Jane Fonda played lovers in the first installment of that anthology tale, and the best segment, to boot, even though they never did anything. Interesting turn. I'd never seen that movie, so I don't know. Brother. But interesting turn on the topic Uh by picking a movie that has... Act- actors that are brothers and sisters. Yeah. And let's see, I'm trying to think if there's some, some anywhere else you could do that. Then playing lovers. That's kind of gross. That's but nice. anyway. He goes on to say, since I figure the show's going to be about fictional siblings, <laughs> uh, the more natural choices would be Blood Rage and Jeepers Creepers. Oh, that's a good one. Of course. Yeah. And Ginger Snaps. Oh, films. yeah. Two sisters. Very good. I also didn't mind Oculus or the Bollywood remake Dobara either. Oh, there's a Bollywood remake of Oculus? Interesting. Very exciting. Up next, we got Janet Addis says, Had to be Dead Ringers. Awesome film. Good pick. Great pick. You're thinking like us this time. We got Aaron Harris. She says, Dolls. Used to surround the place with my dolls at slumber parties with them and sleeping bags galore. Dolls. Now you got that face. I'm trying to remember where the, who the, are the brother and sisters are in oh. the, the brother and sister in that movie are. It sounds like maybe from the comment she means um, 
like she watched that with her siblings and would surround her siblings with the dolls uh, and freak them out. Oh, okay. Yeah, so cool. probably more relating to our bonus episode. Yeah. That you can yeah. hear if you uh, you yes. know get on Patreon and subscribe us. Do subscribe. it. We got Amelia. You could also say Phoebe. Yep. What? I was gonna say you could also say Phoebe and Sean from uh, Monster Squad. Yep. Yeah, there's yeah. a good one. Well, Amelia Kibby says, "How about Orphan?" Or how, how about it? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what could be my pick? I guess for 15 minutes or so, Hereditary. Nice. Yep. Oh fuck. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> death by wa- death by walnuts. <laughs> and then uh, lastly on our Facebook page, we got our good old Patreon buddy Peter Parker says, "Good night, mommy." Yeah, there yeah. you go. Twinsies, Lucas and Elias, uh, Hellraiser. What's family? Oh, oh. Oh, because, uh, yeah, because the Uncle husband's Frank. Bro- Uncle, Uncle Frank. Yeah, okay, got Uncle it. Uncle Frank, yeah. Took me a minute. <laughs> Dad's just saying what we're saying, I think. <laughs> I love Lamp. Loud <laughs> <laughs> <Our> noises. <laughs> Laughter. Okay, and then he also I says. I don't know what we're laughing about. He says, uh, Night of the Comet, Regina and Samantha. Yep. Two awesome sisters. I love that movie. Yep, yep. But strangely, the first film that came to my mind was The Dark Half, 1993. I guess that counts, although George isn't really Thad's brother, and you only get a quick glance at the real sibling that can be missed in a blink of an eye. Yeah. I love Lamp. But at least least we got to mention a George Romero movie. Ah, of course. All right, and then over on our Facebook group, which is open and free for all y'all to join. Join it. Yes, get get the comments going with the guys, all you attackers. Up first, we got Andrew Moeller says, House of a Thousand Corpses. I yeah. agree with that, but I'm yeah. still confused as F is the dynamic of that whole entire family. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll find out in Three from Hell. I'm just kidding. I don't know if that... He also says, Good night, Mommy. Up next, we got Tina Schmidt says, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Franklin Look what and- your brother did to the door! Oh, she's she says talking Franklin, about Franklin and Sally. And Sally. Sally? So you got two different, two different sibling yeah. dynamics yeah. going on there. Um, another good one Nightmare on Elm Street 4, Alice and Ricky. Ricky, who is in Sorority Babes yes. and Slime Bubblerama. Yes, but he's also in Elm Street 4. Yes. Mm-hmm. Then Lost Boys, two amazing sets of Frog Brothers and Michael and Sam. And what list for siblings in horror isn't complete without mentioning The Shining, the Grady Twins? Yeah, yeah. Let's not forget they try feeding us the whole storyline that Michael Myers and Laurie Strode are actually supposed to be siblings. Oh. What? That they tried to feed us? Now that's the fucking real storyline. <laughs> uh, uh, we're not going to get in that. We're not point. a Perkins. <laughs> I, can't I, I, feel, I feel the need to mention the Gecko Brothers Ooh, as well. Here we go. Ooh, yeah, from Dust Till Dawn. Hell nice. Yeah. Forgot about that. those two. That's a good I one. I want that tattoo. 
Up next, we got Nick Leadham says, Basket case? Come on! Yeah. Those are the most famous two set of brothers, brothers ever. <laughs> um, A Tale of Two Sisters. Awesome movie. Yeah, we covered that last year, didn't we? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the Witch. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> he says, I, get it, I remember getting a kick out of Bleeders as a kid. Not so sure it holds up nowadays. Oh, yeah. Also, Raw. I like that movie. You would. And then lastly in a Facebook group, we got this little kid named Brian Clark. Brian Clark! What's up, BC? Godzilla and Ghidorah are not brothers. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to give you shit about that. Uh, (laughs) But what he does say is the Black Room has a fantastic dual role performance by Boris Karloff playing twin brothers. Oh, nice. I don't know that Karloff movie. I'm going to have to check it out. Well, you should. Thanks, Bri Bri. Brian always gives me movies that I need to see. He does. He's good at that. Yes, he is. He is really good at that. He uh, knows my my wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. I would say, uh, I just remembered another one, Texas Chainsaw 2, with Chop Top and Bubba. Yeah, another brother. Dynamic duo. Yes. Well, those are all good ones. We didn't have anything on Twitter, and we don't have anything on Instagram, but um, don't... Play that voicemail. Don't be afraid to... (laughs) <laughs> leave us comments there. You can also leave us a voicemail, like Ted said. You can call us. It's easy. Remember phones? You can call <laughs> You can call people with them. It's neat. Um, anyway, you go to that screen with all the numbers on it, and you push 415-952-6857. Or if you can't do that many numbers, here's some letters. You can do 415-95-AOTKP, and that's shout-outs. Oh, but we're not done yet. My brothers, my sisters. Up next, we got everybody's least favorite segment. Whoa, what the fuck? I mean, but last, last favorite segment. Which, which is, anyway, it's Insane's Picks. Did I protest? I'm not doing it. <laughs> I know that's not true because you just can't wait to talk about all your vinegar syndrome fucking shit you bought. That's this. right. I'm not going to mention all of um, that. I, you know, I mentioned a couple at the top of the show. Uh, you know, for what we watched, um, but I'm not going to go through all of them that I bought because I want to do a video. Um, but I am going to bring up one here, and I, to be perfectly honest, I don't remember if this has been an insane's pick in the past, but even if it has. Um, I want to talk about uh, talk about this vinegar vinegar syndrome Blu-ray release, and the movie I'm talking about this episode is 1965's Orgy of the Dead, um, <laughs> directed by A.C. Stephen and written by that's right, you know him, you love him, Ed Wood, and I often I often wondered with this particular movie if. <coughs> Like, how much Edward was involved on set with this movie. Because this movie, 100% from top to bottom, feels like an Edward movie. And I'll get into that. Um, but uh, I finally got the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray. And so I'm so excited. It's a great Blu-ray. Um, so to kind of give you a synopsis here, ba- this movie's based on an Edward <laughs> novel called Orgy of the Dead. 
Um, horror novelist John and his girlfriend Shirley are taking a night drive. Well, it's night depending on which shot you're talking about. Um, and they are in search of a graveyard that will inspire John to write. Uh, to, th uh, to their horror, they stumble upon a supernatural ritual conducted by the Dark Master and his faithful servants, a chubby vampire ripoff, um, a mummy, and a werewolf. So, and the ritual consists of different women... Uh, who apparently have like died or are coming back from the dead or some kind of supernatural woman doing a dance and doing strip teases to the dances and this I can wait the the strip teases um, are not even really full on strip teases they're dancing in clothes and then the and then it literally cuts away for them not having a top on and the dances go on forever and ever and ever and half of the dancers aren't even that aren't even that good they're not very good at dancing but this movie is awesome i mean it drags obviously with all the uh all the naked dancing um but uh what i like about this movie again is it feels so much like a, a pure edward movie and the fact that um it, there's no continuity to it literally when they're driving to find the graveyard some shots are in the daytime, some shots are at night, and the fact that this is full-on color, um, it's more obvious than in any any black-and-white Edmund movie. Um, it's got Criswell plays the Dark Master in this in this film, mm -hmm. which Criswell is a Edward staple. Um, the writing uh, dialogue is very Edward, and just. Uh, the fact that the time this movie was made is much like an Ed Wood movie. When Ed Wood was making his horror movies and sci-fi films in the 50s, they were really dated. Um, he put Bela Lugosi as the star of these movies, and Bela Lugosi's name had washed up, has, has not been... Um, not been a big star since like the like the early 40s and all of his movies felt more like a, a 40s film or a late 30s film um and the same thing goes with this with this film this film can fall into the category of of a subgenre a subgenre of exploitation films of the 50s and 60s called the nudie cuties which most of the nudie cuties consisted of movies where they would go to a nudist Connolly, Connolly and and um, film the nudists, whether they're playing volleyball or just tanning in the sun, and that's your movie. You know, they this is the most boring movies ever because they all it is is exploitation of just showing naked people. And this movie falls into that category, but it kind of transcends those nude cuties and the fact that it has a horror element to it. You got a woman dancing with a snake. You've got this mummy. You got this werewolf. Um, you you've got this whole graveyard motif that the women are dancing in. Um, you got Criswell. So it's trying to be like a horror movie, uh, a horror movie nude cutie. And, but the problem is the Nudie Cuties died out uh, in the late 50s. And this movie came out in, uh, uh, in like, what did I say, 19, 
1965, well past the nudity cuties. By then, uh, the exploitation nude films went on to another subgenre called the roughies, which had which had more story, but usually involved um, you know a lot more violence and stuff like that. So, so this was another movie that's kind of for Ed Wood that was way past its era. Um, but and I, I like it. I love it for the fact that it's a nudie cutie that tries to be something else. Uh, but yeah, it was written by Ed Wood, but directed by um, A.C. Stevens. Uh, did such movies like Fugitive Girls and whatnot. Uh, Ted Michaels, uh, T.V. Michaels, who made uh, Girl in Gold Boots, Doll Squad, Astro Zombies, and The Corpse Grinders, um, was like he did the lighting and was the camera assistant on this movie. So this is like a who's who of exploitation filmmakers of this, of the fifties, sixties and seventies. Uh, it's like, yeah, it's super campy. Um, uh, but you know, it's, you know, even the hairstyle of, of, uh, the main actress in the movie changes throughout the, uh, or throughout the film as well. Uh, you know, so if you can get past all the, all the extremely long dance numbers. Um, this movie is a lot of fun. Um, the but the Blu-ray is awesome. It's uh, was it's a 2K scan from the original 35 millimeter camera negative, which I didn't even think still existed. Uh, it has a commentary track by Edward biographer Ralph Gray, and the coolest person of all to be on this commentary track. Frank Henenlotter. That's right, Frank Basket oh, Case wow. Henenlotter. Um, it's got an interview with one of the one of the um, dancers, one of the actresses from the film. It has an interview with, with Ted Michaels about Orgy of the Dead. Um, it's got a sweet reversible cover. It, so it's it's I like the art a lot. Yeah, the art on the on the New front cover. cover is really sweet. And then the inside cover, I, I really like a lot too. I think this maybe was like oh, yeah. taken from maybe the original poster or whatever, because um, it's really retro style looking, really cool. Um, so, and more on this disc than I ever thought existed for a movie like Orgy of the Dead. So, like, once again, that's what's great about Vinegar Syndrome. It's taking these like lost garbage films or sex exploitation films or what have you and and treating them like cinematic masterpieces and giving you more information than you ever thought possible so 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 happy i finally have the blu-ray of it but that's uh, the insane's pick for this episode orgy of the dead 1965 and that my listeners is another episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. It's been quite a journey from Kansas City Crypticon that actually takes place in St. Joseph <laughs> to movies about brothers and sisters. And I feel like you're all now my brothers and sisters as we conclude this episode. We've all became a family and grew a little closer together. Preach on, Brother Mike. So, thanks for listening. And we will talk to you again on the next episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Oh no, could this be the end of? <laughs> Attack of the Killer Podcast.